morning, class. Today we're going to learn the McDonald's menu song and give a listener out there a chance to win a million dollars. So, repeat after me. Repeat after me. No, no. No, no. Oh, okay. Okay. Here goes. Here goes. Big Mac McDLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese, filet, a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a happy meal, McNuggets, tasty golden fresh, fries, regular or larger size, a salad, chef or garden, or a chicken salad, oriental, bakery, breakfast, egg, muffin, hot, hot cakes and sausage, maybe biscuits, bacon, egg and cheese, or sausage, Danish hash, stew and four dessert, hot apple pies and Sundays, three varieties of sausage, grown three kinds of shakes and chocolate, each of cookies and a drink, a Coca-Cola diet, Coke and orange, drink a Sprite and coffee, decaf, two, a loaf at milk, also an orange juice, I love McDonald's, good time, great taste, and I get this all at one place. Got it? Got it! Okay, now you do it! Ah, too bad. Because if this class can do the McDonald's menu song all the way through, a listener out there is going to win a million dollars. Win a million dollars? Yeah. So let's try again. Big Mac McDLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese. Big Mac McDLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese. Filet a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a happy meal. Filet a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a happy meal. You're on a roll. Keep going. Big Mac is tasty, golden, fresh, regular, a larger size of salad, shepherd garden, or a chicken salad, oriental, baby breakfast, segment, oven, hot hot cakes and sausage, maybe biscuits, bacon, egg and cheese, and sausage, Danish hash browns, and for dessert, hot apple pies, and Sundays, three varieties of sausage, cold cakes, and shakes, and chocolate, each of cookies, and a drink, a Coca Cola, diet, Coke, and orange, drink a Sprite, and coffee, decaf, two little bit milk, also an orange juice, I love it. So sorry. The person listening to this record didn't win the big prize. But if he goes to McDonald's now, he might still have a chance to win big. Win big! Tell him to save those coupons. Save those coupons! They'll not only save him money on great McDonald's food, those coupons will give him a chance to win $1,000 or $5,000. $5,000? Yeah, and there will be lots of winners each week. So get those coupons to McDonald's. To McDonald's! And you guys? You guys! Sing something else. Good time, great taste, that's why this is our place. Good time, great taste of McDonald's. Action News. Due to the following special presentation of the Sunday Night Movie, today's FBI will be seen at 10, 9 Central and Mountain. So stay tuned and I'll see you right after the movie. pick up a truckload of bootleg beer and race through five states on a bet. <laughs> this is Bandit 1 and that is Bandit 2. Only the Bandit, Burt Reynolds with Sally Field, Jerry Reed, Fred, and Jackie Gleason in Hot Pursuit. I gotta barbecue you! They're burning up the road in Smokey and the Bandit. One, rolling two, already? One, two, three, four. I mean, usually we uh, 
we do the mic test for about a half an hour before we. <laughs> yeah, one, two, one, two. We're going. It's, it's everything seems to be going unless the, the 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 dials and the levers are are uh, faders. Oh yeah. yeah, all the uh, little turn the compressor knobs are uh, yeah. Turn on all the stuff. Got away for the tubes to heat up. Yeah, it looks like a Force Ackerman like fr- uh, you know fr- uh, Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> we are ready. <laughs> and then, then you have like some guy like speed. After <laughs> all that's going, name the uh, Nikolai uh, uh, Tesla. Yeah, like we have the Tesla <laughs> coils <Yeah. laughs> going. <laughs> we bought a surplus after uh, that goddamn Graham Bell took, put him out of business, <laughs> or not the Graham Bell Edison. Uh, so before we even start this this epic blockbuster of a cast. Uh, <coughs> I want to um, relate to you something I know that you're going to love, but I, it's, it's, it's something for our... Welcome to another uh, episode of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday I do have to... Movie Sleepovers. Uh, you know, I do have to do the disclaimer that I am uh, getting over a cold. Yes. Which was like three months of, ni- of 2014. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say to you um, that the past couple ones we did, we sound a little under the weather for them. And I think it's just a night of drinking, which we did a whole night of drinking for this movie too, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, yeah, we were, it, it's, it's been a hard winter. And it wasn't that bad of a season, but it's just, no, you know. No, I, always th- I tend to always get sick in March. You and get like those last upper year. respiratory infections. Yeah, well, last year when we did the thing and... Uh, we left the window open for that cast yeah, for, I know, for 5D. But then, but then I was, <laughs> that last year was brutal because like, I got really sick, and then I seemed to get better, and then I came back, and like, I couldn't shake it. Yeah, you were crotchety, too. You're like, I'm oh, sick. I'm feeling good. This movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <clears throat> I'm a little phlegmy today, and I have to apologize ahead of time <laughs> for, for the grossness of it. It's all right, though. At least Potentially. You're, at least you're here. You made it to, to, to my mom's house on late <laughs> Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Nice bowl of came soup. Over. You got your, uh, you you you, wa- you finally washed your sleeping bag. Yeah. So your now mom let me use the TV tray. Yeah, it was great. The, she came out and did stuff for you, and then she yelled at you. You have TV trays when you were of little. Course. I mean, not like the concept of TV tray, but did you have a TV? Yeah, tray? yeah. We had we had uh and and we had a set for years. Then when we moved to the new house that I grew up in, uh, for the majority of my early years. They got wooden ones. Ooh. So, like, we had wooden ones, and it was really nice. And, like, you know, you'd always have to, because there was two and two on each side, and you had to make sure what you took off the, the tray, and it would balance, <laughs> it wouldn't fall over, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I loved the TV trays. We had, uh, when I was little, my mom got us, you know, like, I don't know, metal ones. Yeah. Um, but they were, like, kids' ones. So my brother had a Pac-Man oh, one. come on. And mine was Smurfs. That's awesome. This was were like they that sir- size, too? I don't know. I mean, because we were pretty little. I mean, I'm talking about like circa 1985. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Because I had. So it's hard to imagine. <laughs> my parents, when I was little. The size of things when I was, you know, so I, small compared to what I am now. Like they had for me when, I, when my mom was little, she had a little rocking chair that was hers that she like gifted to me. So when I was little, that was my chair to watch stuff with. And it was old. So I was like, all right, go sit on your rocking chair. And it's like, it's like you know, it's small. You know, it's like fucking yeah, yeah. three feet tall. And my sister had a. Uh, an awesome um, Big Bird chair, where the chair was Big Bird. You know, you'd yeah. sit into him, and then like the back is the rocking chair. The chair in the yeah. picture on our site. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is am I sitting in a rocking chair? <laughs> You're sitting in the chair. Yeah, that's, with that's, and with like armrest. That's the rocking chair. Exactly. That's geez, it comes around full circle. I guess people we've never addressed <laughs> this, but people who check out Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers' website, um, yeah. that's us as children. And then if you click the banner. That pictures change. Yeah, yeah. So, which is really fun. But I thought that picture must also be on Facebook. And 
Yeah, I think they're on our Facebook yeah, page yeah. doing it and the tippy top. Yeah, but that's the picture. That's the chairman. So that was my chair. And my sister had a, a, a sweet um, um, a big bird, and then the arm rest or the arm that would, or the head rest would be like his head. So it yeah, comes yeah. all the way up like his neck to a head. Um, what I was going to say is that uh, I had a birthday pass recently, and I, I, I turned 37, which is cra- pretty crazy. The big 3-7. Yeah, you're already the big 3-7, yeah. so we're, we're now the same age again. <laughs> and uh, I got for my birthday, my wife got me a portable record player, right? And okay, it's, yeah, yeah. And it's awesome. It's, it's, it looks like a, like a leather a suitcase. Uh, suitcase yeah. You know, it looks nice. You open it up, and it's cool. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's three speeds, so it plays 7-8s, 45s. And yeah. And uh, 32s, and uh, it has a Bluetooth enabled, and it also has the the part the you know where I can put it to the computer to you know oh burn yeah, it out yeah, to, like you know, USB yeah, yeah. Card, yeah. So I almost uh, bought when I I bought mine a couple of years ago when I started writing the book yeah. about harm film music, and it's coming out this 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 summer, summer. yeah, not the summer plug, of 2016, yeah, um, scored to death is called, and so like it was a you know the record thing was becoming a bit fat, and that was. And all the horror soundtracks. So I bought a record player, and I did a lot of research. And I came very close to buying that one, because it's actually, like, aside from it being, like, a portable thing, you would think it would be kind of shitty. But it's actually, like, a highly rated, well, that's a, like, good one. I, I, um, I had in my wish list the uh, Crowsley Krause, yeah. Peanuts one. And then my wife did research, and she said, it's really getting really shitty reviews. I'm so sorry, but... I, yeah, did some, yeah. I did some research, and this is the one you need to, yeah, you yeah. Need to some, have. Yeah, the one you know? that's... Uh, it's just where I needed to put it. It just was not going to be the right size, so I ended up buying like a non-portable unit. Yeah, I spent a little bit more. It was expensive, yeah. and it is one of the better ones at that... It's like the best one you can get at, the, at that price range, yeah. but it was a lot more expensive than that. But uh, yeah, I came very close to getting almost exactly the same one that you ended up getting. And... Um, you and I are both vinyl fans. I mean, I've had a new mark for going on. Did you go with me? You might have went with me when I bought the new mark back in like two thousand two yeah, or three. Yeah, I may have to like Sam Ash or something. Yeah, and uh, at the very least, we went and looked at them. I don't remember if you bought it that time or not. Yeah, because at the time uh, when we got out of college, I was in a big vinyl kick, uh, and this is like pre the, the refab of vinyl. And n- at the time, nobody was giving you the seventy eights option. I had a lot of seventy eights. It was only thirty threes yeah. or forty five. So I had to end up buying. I spent like uh, two fifty or three hundred, and I bought a DJ. It's a it's a direct belt instead of a belt driven. Yeah, mine. That's mine too. So you so which means for people who don't know it out there, if it's if it's if it's belt driven, you can't you know uh, what the what the you can't <laughs> scratch because you're going to ruin the belt. Yeah. Where a direct drive is meant so you can scratch. So I had to buy that just to get the seventy eight option, which I think now maybe. They must like the one I have. The, the, the one I brought up is the seven. Yeah, the 78 the, that, option. that was one of the reasons why I was looking at that one was for the seventy eight option. The one I bought, I ended up spending a little more money. One for quality, two because the cheaper, the less expensive versions of the one I have don't play the seventy eight. Yeah, it's kind of shitty, and you know we like our seventy eight. So gotta be able to rock the, the wax. You know. Um, so the reason why I bring it up is that so. I got it charged, and, it, and you could charge it too. You can plug it in, or you can charge it, you know. And, and like I said, it's Bluetooth, and you can, you know, get get him off his files. And it comes with, I think, Audacity, which is great. The, the music yeah. program, so it's pretty cool. They give you a free thing for your computer, the yeah. music drive. And um, we ended up um, putting it in the bedroom. So hey, let's listen to some music, all right? <laughs> so I put some candles hey, on. Hey man, let's do this, man. You know, we're gonna get crazy. So I put some candles on to appease the old lady. You know, put some like. Uh, the, the fairy lights on and we broke out our vinyl storybooks oh, and, you nice. know what I mean and, and, and Blake and I are huge fans of the novelization we're huge uh-huh. fans of the photo 
novels. Yeah. And then we keep going down that uh, alley. We, we get to the third part with the vinyl story book things, where they do a lot of movies in the 70s. They release the soundtrack. Not just movies. And then, oh, yeah, you're right. And then what you'd also get is you get... Uh, along with a movie, say, that you get the soundtrack, but you'd also get the storybook version, which usually would consist of the soundtrack with the movie mixed in, and then the the uh, record uh, sleeve, you could be able to open it up, and there'd be a comic book version of the movie. So we had already the Black Hole, we had Kojak, and... Uh, I have the Kojak. And the, there's, there's like two or three... Co- that's the Kojak I have. <laughs> I'm You're showing me a picture of the I'm Kojak. You a picture of the, if of you the Kojak. haven't listened to that, that's amazing. And it's, and it's interesting because I went online and there's like a huge surplus. So for some reason, they must have had a shipment that got lost. Like, you know, like a whole truckload. Speaking of the movie we're doing this week. Because there's a huge, uh, uh, really cheap, vast am- amounts of this uh, Kojak um, vinyl storybook on eBay. All unopened. Yeah. And there's a couple people out there who are selling like a lot of like eight of them. Yeah, eight unopened. Yeah. I was like, that'd be for like 10 bucks. I'll give that <laughs> as Christmas presents for people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That was, you know, how sweet is that? I give you like a Kojak unopened. <laughs> there was you know? one, one year when we were in college, uh, uh, one, of the, one of our roommates and I, Chris and I, we were at like a blockbuster. And this is when all the video stores were going, started to go out of business. And they had like, you know, the previously viewed videos for. Uh, they were selling it, and they had like sixteen copies of Major League Three back to the minors. And you're like, I'm gonna buy them all. And they were all like a two dollars a piece, and we didn't buy them. But when we left, we were like, fuck. Like a, the next day, we we're like, we should go back and buy them because we can give one of those to everybody we know for Christmas. It'd be such a sweet Christmas present to to, to be able to do. Starring to, Scott Bakula. Yeah, and it's like these are unopened. Like you thought ahead, you know? <laughs> yeah, I did. But there's a whole lot of these Kojaks. So point is, I, like I made the mood right for the old lady. Uh, open that bag, crank that bad boy up, open the, the suitcase, turned it on, put Kojak on, and it was fucking amazing. It's, you know, I mean, it's Telly, but then everybody else, you know, his brother and other people, Crocker or not, you know, they have they have other people in for the, for the, for the uh, actors. But it's like you listen to a radio play. Yeah. And it's so cool. And it's uh, like, you know, it's like that phenomenon, that, that whole medium of storytelling has died, sadly. Yeah, yeah. I used to have, I have, I think, same company i have a star trek one that, well, that, that was my except for it's not any of the cast the one i have oh anyway. no it's you like just people, ruined it for me it's like people doing oh because i i so we, we were so happy i went on ebay and i was like looking at everything i was like watch watch i was watching everything they have you know, big christmas uh not christmas disney too dumbo Twenty Thousand Leagues under the sea a lot of like Uncle Remus from Sal- uh, Song-, Song of the South. Let him yeah. tell you your stories. It's like, zip it do that All ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you don't know who Uncle yeah, Remus yeah. is. Uh, and in the 70s, there's this, I, I forget, it's called like uh, Power Records, or there's some record company that would put these out, and they had a lot of DC. There's Batman meets Sherlock Holmes. There's yeah, Superman. Yeah. There's like the Justice League together, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman all in one record. There's... Uh, uh, I have a Star uh, a, a Transformers one from the early '80s. That's um, really rare. That doesn't have any of the cast. It's supposed to be yeah. prior to the TV show because it's all these, you know, it's a, it's a different story with all these different voice actors. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this with Black Hole, I think. Yeah, because we talked about different editions we had. Yeah, and, and I, then I, the photo and novels. I and think also, and I was talking about Disney. Like a, a Disney book that I had. I don't know, at some point yeah, we were and talking you, and about we, some we, Disney. Uh, I think it was merchandising and stuff we talked about, and that they would do different versions and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And we did do a sidecast, which we I think we're going to, in the spring and summer, start uh, recirculating those sidecasts we do for um, the 
Podwitz website where you know we would talk about just various topics, and we did one on photo novels and yeah. novelizations. It'd be interesting to listen to it because we did we talked about novelizations and photo novels, but it was like well, re- tell people what no people may not even know what photo novels are. A photo novel is almost like a comic book, except for it's like a it's like a you know like a mass market paperback size book, much thinner than a no- than you know like a like a novel, but at that size, but like, like roughly two that, inches by like nine inches or something. Yeah, and what they do is they take still images from the movie and basically tell the story through the images with almost like a comic book. Yeah, like bubbles, you know, and stuff, yeah, like you know? bubbles and blocks and stuff. So it's, uh, and you could tell a lot of design had to go into actually, like you know, oh yeah, taking I the mean, right frames. It's, to it's match. fascinating because, yeah. and then like the, it wasn't a fad that stayed around too long. They did several of the Star Trek episodes, original series Star Trek episodes in that form, but movie wise, um, and I have several of them. Uh, Seventy eight Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. I have um, Rocky two. It has like the summary, right? But the first 10 pages are like Rocky in 10 pages, yeah. And then the rest is Rocky, too. Um, Grease, which is bizarre because it's a music. So, do they sing or is it all straight? <laughs> I think it has, I think it has the lyrics for the songs. That's, that's funny. So that should um, come with a little like 45. Yeah, all yeah. I want is you, you, you turn it over. Well, the uh, movie programs, yeah, um, that. That you get in a cinema before you sometimes yeah. have a premiere. They're like program. magazine size. Yeah. Like, you, like people go to see a play, you get a program. They used to do that for movies and they kind of discontinued it, sadly. Yeah, but those, like, like the Grease one comes with a, like, a little plastic record, yeah. like 45, but like, you know, paper thin. Yeah. <laughs> the kind you would like rip out of a magazine or something. You know, to go way down the alley, if people remember in this podcast, I bet you people haven't thought about it in 30 years. I remember that in the in the late 80s, McDonald's did remember they did oh, like yeah. a special. And they would have... Uh, it's like, and, it, and you got it in the Sunday paper and it was a square, but it, yeah, inside the square exactly was round. That's exactly the way it is. Yeah. And it was, it was like paper thin and that was your record and it was like the McDonald's song. Like, McDonald's, like, you know, uh, yeah. fish fillet and egg and cheese all yeah. for 1.99 cents. And, <laughs> You know. Yeah, well, I know it was a big deal originally. I don't know if it was the same one, but I know back in the day they had, like, the Big Mac song. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but my point about the, the our sidecast about it is that it was, like, really early on in my collecting of them. Yeah. Um, and so I had bought a bunch, but it would, like, I think the podcast we would do now about it yeah. would be very different than that one. Because that was, like, I was just starting, like... Oh, so you're like enamored by it all. <laughs> you were just, it's amazing, you know. But it was good that we caught that that lightning in a bottle and got you while you were missed. Yeah, yeah. you were in the craze of collecting because sometimes if you lose, but it was that also phase. like not a whole lot of thought had been put into. It. I mean, there was the initial thought of like this is how you would before video. This is how you yeah for home video. This is how you would relive the movie. Yeah, there was that, but it was like. That's a good. Now we would. I think we it would be like a more analytical look back An- at, at those than. Like the excitement of, of rediscovering, and them, then kinda. And that's a good point to put on this is that you know prior to to home videos in the late seventies and second runs in theaters, a lot of times you'd go see a movie in the theater, and then after that, you know, you'd see it a couple times, and if it, once it left the theater a second run, you wouldn't see it again. Maybe yeah. it would come to television, but if it didn't, you'd be screwed. And that was the why TV got uh, so big was because like Universal Horror, say those kind of movies, they they started syndicating on television. They realized there's a whole market if you just that's how It's a Wonderful Life got uh, became yeah, a classic. Yeah. Even nowadays, a Christmas story, just that circulation on television. So, 
you, if you, you know, prior to uh, video cassettes, this is the only way to relive the experience is to get the book, the novelization, buy the record because they're yeah. putting the soundtrack out, or get this either the photo novel or the record edition of the story, the storyteller thing, yeah. and, you know, and they're just great. They're so awesome, and like we listen to the Kojak, and it's like it's like a radio show. It's like okay, you know, it's like you're in it, and there's like <laughs> comics. You're reading the comics, yeah, and yeah it's, it's like, like a comic book inside. Yeah, so it's like you know, it's, you're, you're really you know, and you know, you and I are big into like the uh, the '40s radio shows, yeah, you know, yeah. that that you know, suspense and all those ones that are freely available for anyone to find. But it's just so fun, and it, we had just a good time. So I ended up ordering the Star Trek one, and I have there's four. Uh, there's there's different editions, but I got the one that's there's four, two on one side, two on the other, and and the cover is like a comic book cover. I think that's my. So I'm worried now. You're telling me that it's not the cast it's because so in the 70s they did yeah, the TV yeah. show, the cartoon, the cartoon and, and the yeah. cartoon had the original cast. That's why I was like, oh, maybe they just, you know, it could be a different them. one than I have. No, it doesn't sound like it is. Now you've got me. <laughs> huh. I, it's tough to tell because I bought a couple of them. Because I can't have. Is there any of them voiced by? Uh, I they don't know if I listened to another one. No, I did buy one and was like, because I, I thought it was going to be the motion picture, because it was yeah. pictures from the motion picture. Yeah, I've seen that one, too. That might be the one that th- that isn't voiced by them. Because it's know. just a shame. I can't hear any other Kirk or Bones or, or you know McCoy or, or yeah. Spock. So that's kind of... Um, so, oh, and then um, since we're on the subject, it's like a useless piece of trivia that I learned. Since we're talking about those paper-thin yeah. um, things, and, and back in Russia, when Russia was still you know the USSR... That you know, it was a big band on like you know music and stuff. So what the what the people used to do to bootleg mu- music in to Russia to listen hear hear the Beatles and stuff, is they listen to like ham radios and shortwave. They listen to like the BBC broadcasts. So what they do is they would then uh, you know you know tune it in and then they would burn it out as you would do on a record. But yeah. they didn't have any records. So what they would do is they would use the same material you'd get an X-ray on. Yeah. So they would take old x-rays from, like, doctors. They'd use that, and for some reason that has, like, a waxy substance you can... Ro- yeah, you know? well, it's probably, like, f- like film. Yeah. You know, like a... Uh, yeah, like a, like a piece of yeah, acid, like cellul- celluloid or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, like the, 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 actual the chemical material, yeah. stuff that actually... So they would make it, uh, uh, like, a circular, and then they would punch a hole in it. They would actually, like, record or burn out that edition of the Beatles say it's like you can't buy me love yeah. and then what they would do is they take a bunch of them and they roll it up and they put it on their forearm and then when they go out that's how they it's like basically like you want to get drugs you go to your local yeah, dealer yeah. And like what do you have this week and you'd be like I have uh, can't buy me love I have uh, <laughs> you know like uh, money you know and they get and that's how people would you know huh. Fascinating. No, but it's that paper thin like you get in the newspaper, you know. Speaking of bootlegging. Bootlegging. Uh, <laughs> we are doing a crazy movie. T- and that's what I was going to say tonight is we drank because we, we, we drank Coors all night. <laughs> the, big, the longest Coors commercial yeah, of all time. The banquet of beer. We, we drank a uh, – uh, uh, we, we not only did we get two cases apiece to drink. We're actually sobering up now. We, we went to Texas to get them, and then we brought them back. Yeah, we did the we did the whole run. We did the bandit run. Yeah, except we did it in an airplane. We couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't drive. That would have been crazy for us to drive, you know. But you know, okay, this week we're doing 1977 Smoking the Bandit, which is like a huge pinnacle movie for people. It's like, uh, um, you know, it's set in in Americana uh, genre, pleasing thing. 1977. I didn't know that it's the second rated movie behind Star Wars in 77. Second highest grossing movie of 1977 behind Star Wars. And, yeah. I, and it set that like craze of the 70s. It also 70s. didn't cost a lot. No, it only cost so about $3 million to do. I'm sure that helps you know, the profits. Well, it, it, it <laughs> gazillionized the profits. I mean, we'll get to the how much it made, but it, it only did, they cost about $3 million to make, and it like you know, ended up like 
200, 200 million or something, which is unheard of in those times for, you know, or in the sense of, uh, you know, what you, like you're saying, what it cost to make first or what it made. Yeah. Uh, and you have everybody in this movie. You have uh, Burt Reynolds. You have uh, Sally Fields. Sally Fields. You have Jerry Reed. You have Paul Williams. You have the great Jackie Gleason. You have Pat McCormick. Uh, you have Fred the Dog, a.k.a. Happy is his real name. Um, am I forgetting anybody else? Probably. Um, and uh, this was there was a craze in the 70s, I guess, you know, prior to people who don't realize with the Internet and stuff and, and you know, and... and Prior to that, you had like you know people you would call everybody on phones and like total phones or conference calls. You know you yeah. had in the late seventies there was a CB craze. Yeah, and uh, people like you know would get on the CBs and for a while there for like three or four years that was like basically the early early version of the internet. You yeah, get on yeah. your CB totally. and your in your parents' basement or your dad's car and you'd find like a channel and the channel would be like like kind of like a chat room if people even know what chat rooms are nowadays and you just chat away and <laughs> you know and it was weird because then, it you was know, it was like your twitter account or yeah your you Facebook know and, and that was huge you just think at the time that was your way to get out to people you know instead of writing like you know like a snail mail you write like a letter you know or oh, you're yeah. gonna call somebody i mean you're talking to somebody in real time so it's basically like, you know you're im in somebody or you're texting somebody and that's how you do you pick up your freaking radio and you go to whatever channel it was, and, and I'm sure people who are slightly older than us can actually remember, you know, channel 13 was this, channel 19 was this, but, you know. Yeah. And you'd have to stay away, I guess, from the trucking bands because the truckers were actually a whole other breed of, you know, they were really, yeah. you know, doing their thing, and they've been doing it for a while. But it was, this was a huge phenomenon, and this movie kind of caught that CB phenomenon craze and that uh, kind of, you know, propelled the movie. But also this movie kind of... Um, I think culminates that weird late 60s into early 70s like road movie you know you had yeah. like it kind of started with like the easy rider guys getting on the road we're gonna have a road trip movie and then, it, then in, into the 70s you have great movies like um, the original Gone in 67 uh, 60 Seconds you have like Vanishing Point yeah. uh, Dirty Mary Crazy Larry you have Thunderbolt Lightfoot you have um, uh, even Convoy uh, you have even the Blues Brothers too. Were certainly set in 1980. This, you know, they're kind of like having the the end, the car chase, and that kind of a movie. You know, everybody got into like CB radios, car chases. Yeah, and trucking became a big trucking train. became a hauling stuff was like becoming the song Convoy. Convoy for the movie Convoy. You know, that was that was I think in like 79. That yeah. was like the culmination of like you got what, every which way but loose, every which way but loose, any which way you can, the Eastwood movie. So this was like a huge thing back then, This like this this little uh, phenomenon. And then like, you know, the, the star of it, Burt Reynolds, was really big at the time. Um, he was the number one actor uh, in the country uh, doing stuff like, uh, I think he came, to, he, he, he came to fame doing Deliverance in, in the movie picture business, but he'd been around for you know, 20 years before. And, uh, you know, the, the, this kind of culminated... Smoking the Bandit like started this mini era of these kind of movies where uh, you have Smoking the Bandit two, Smoking the Bandit three, and then you have the Cannibal Runs, yeah. which is basically, which I think is a brilliant idea because you and I try to do this as much as possible. It's just like Bert and his friends getting together uh, later, like Dom DeLuise yeah. for, for Smoking the Bandit two and the Cannibal Runs, and uh, he even he even was good friends with Bert Convy, the the, the announcer from um, freaking um, uh, you know we watch Buzzer, yeah yeah, you know uh, that for Tattletales and um, yeah, Password, yeah. you know he's friends with him. He, he shows up Cannibal so Run. Our youth, he was uh, well. There was super password, but Ma- was when, when, ju- when loser draw. Well, produced by Burt Reynolds. That's why Burt and Don DeLuise showed up every episode because Burt was trying to produce at the time. So, but uh, you know, all these people became like this, like uh, 
and Sally Field as well became like this like theater or acting troupe of Burt Reynolds, and they would go do these movies, and it was just no plot, and they would just have fun. <laughs> that was thinking you know there I mean? was there's a movie I I wish I could remember what movie it was. There was a podcast that we did where I was like, this is the least amount of plot as like any movie we've done so far. Maybe we ever will do. And it turns out that this movie might be the least. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot going on in this movie, which is kind of like it, 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 it's it's kind of relaxing in one aspect. You can sit back and just watch the, the course of events because there's not a lot going on in it. But uh, it's weird. It just got to that point of the movies where it's like the cannibal runs especially. It's like you have everybody in this, like the phone book. We talk about these um, these podcasts. We yeah, do. well, I mean, of you know. course, yeah, I mean. Also, you know, road movie, Mad, 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 Mad. Yeah, that, which was, might have started very, in, the, in the middle 60s, yeah. Kind of like the concept of Cannonball Run-ish. And there's a couple Disney movies, the, the live-action Disneys that did this, too. Like, you know, there's Herbie and the Love Bug, but there's a couple, like, road movies. Where and then like, there was, like, those, there was, like, Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Wasn't there, like, like yeah, uh, they, race? They got, yeah, there was, the, the, the like, the Laugh Olympics and stuff like that. They would do, st- they would race, and there's, you know, there's even, like, a Scooby-Doo um, in The Reluctant Werewolf where there's, like, a car chase. And even, you know, Jerry Reed ended up showing up in the, um, in an episode of Scooby-Doo himself. You know, he did um, an episode of... Um, I think it was the the Scooby Doo movies, um, in 1972, December 9th, 1972. He was in the Scooby Doo movies, The Phantom of the Country Music Hall, and that was the Scooby Doo movies where you had, of course, Batman and Robin. You had Mama Cats. You had uh, Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, Don yeah. Knotts showed up. But it's so funny to see like a, but a, like long distance an, road race movies. An animated Jerry one Reed. of my particular favorites, long distance road race movies, Death Race 2000 by Roger Corman. Well, you, and, and, and this is the same. He's, <laughs> and it's the same thing. I mean, it's a little post apocalyptic, but it's but it's 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 trying to cash out on this craze yeah. of of it's it's funny when they romanticize a like a, a truck driver. You know, like the, yeah. the trucking. When I was very little, before like um, I maybe before age seven or eight, like I was big in the trucks, and it was probably because of this movie. And I always that was my first job, like thought I wanted to be a truck driver. So when I was little, I used to, like, go to the library and find, like, books on trucks, and then I would go and, like, get dimes and just photocopy them, and I would just have, like, these shitty-ass black and white, like, you know, just horrible resolution pictures of, Well, it just goes to show you, like, how, like, we haven't really changed. Not at all. Because, like, that's what you... That was, like, you were doing that, and mine was, like, werewolf books. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, like shitty photocopy, like, werewolf books. Like, Michael Landon for, like, I was a teenage werewolf. Yeah, you you get, like, a (laughs) shitty ass, like, you know, where the blacks are just black. You know, you're you're really... You're you're ruining all that ink. You know what I mean? And it's like, there's no no contrast there. It's just, like, black and white. It's just, like, Probably still have them, like, stapled together. (laughs) And I bring them home, and I don't know what I would do with them. Just because, like, oh, look, it's a Peter belt it's a freight liner you know it's a mac truck and then i would just you know and uh, that was my job like when i was like five i was like huge in the tonka trucks and i was like i want to be a trucker you know matchbox cars i get all the truck you know the 18 wheeler trucks and this was a movie this probably i i uh, i think smoking the bandit three was on cable when i was really little that could just yeah. come out so I, I watched the hell out of that and that's what probably introduced me to jackie gleason and then a little later on like a couple of years later is when i saw the honeymooners and stuff yeah you know um but it, this is such a crazy movie. Like, you know, it, 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 you know, you have all these, I love all the terms in the movie, like gear jammer and all, and all the CB terms, like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Choke and puke. Cho- you know, that's, that's, that's the, uh, if you're stopping at a rest stop, you're going to the, the choke and puke, you know. You think, and that, I never understand, like, the, uh, you know, that, like, desire to put, like, a gross name on food. Like, like you, like, you're not the only one, but 
you're the you're one of the people that I know that uses this term for like the carts on the New York City, like street meat. Yeah. To me, that sounds disgusting. Oh, it is disgusting. Like, like I would never say yeah. that. Yeah, in New York, <laughs> like I would never call like a diner that yeah, I'm going to choke and puke. That choke and puke. You know, it's like yeah, in New York City, there's these street meat carts and the halal and all these different things. They usually serve like uh, you know uh, chicken lamb over rice or yeah, some yeah. sort of stuff, or you get a gyro. But they're not always very savory, especially the hot dogs. You get those dirty dogs, and like yeah, it's yeah. like the dirty water dogs, and it's like you know they're trying to really crack down on the regulations and stuff with, um, you know, just cleanliness. And and as you get older, you realize there's some stuff you really shouldn't eat. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm starting to get that way. But um, you know, the street meat carts, and like you're saying, like the choke and pukes on the highways. But there's, it opens you up to this whole nomenclature of uh, of these part these terms like you know CB terms like you know um. You know, can you hear me? I'm five by five. I got you five by five. That means I can hear you clearly. Or, you know, where are you going to be? I'm going to be ten ten on the side, which means I'm going to be here. You come meet me here. You know, it's like yeah, all these yeah. little, you know, or like, a, you know, uh, a Texas bubblegum uh, bubble machine is a, is a cop. Or a Kojak with a Kodak is a, uh, a cop, you know, who's taking radar. You know, it's yeah, like, you know, it's, well, I love you know, all this. the lingo. You know, get on this and Smokey Bear, you know. There was a time right when, uh, when we were in college when Sinatra died. And that Life magazine, like, Sinatra special came out. Yeah. And there was an entire, like, page dedicated to the Rat Pack lingo. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And you and I were trying to adopt. Yeah. (laughs) The Ring-A-Ding Charlie's. Ring-A-Ding and and Charlie's and and Mouse. Yeah, all all kinds of, (laughs) We were going to try to adopt the uh, Rat Pack. We did for a while. And I think we still, I mean, that's part of my nomenclature. I still say Ring-A-Ding Charlie's all the time. You know, um Big old uh, tiggle biddies, you know, and, and you know that which really wasn't Sinatra. But, <laughs> I don't think Sinatra said that. You know, one, but, but but I mean that's kind of there. We're saying ringing Charlies. You yeah. know, you can only guess on the what part of the a, a, uh, woman's anatomy that Sinatra it's would a say. Charlie, yeah, it's the Charlies, and he would say those are ringing Charlies. Ringing was, you know, great. Um, and I think we have that. That was in like '98 when he died. I think we both have. I, I think I have that Time magazine too. But it's it's crazy to think of all this lingo and. Um, you know, Smoking the Band in 1977, directed by Hal Needham. Um, now, what else? There was another thing that we did recently where Hal Needham was um, like the stunt coordinator or something, and you pointed out that... Oh, Night, Hall, uh, Night Stalker. Oh, he yeah, was, yeah, He yeah. was one of the, the motorcycle cops that gets thrown into the water in the big fight scene where uh, the vampire is fighting the guys but poolside. In the so Hal night. Needham was a stuntman. Yeah. He was and known as being like the top, like he the was top the top like, guy, like top, especially yeah. when it came to like car stuff. Right? Yeah, Hal Needham, uh, you know, came into to, to, to Pioneer as uh, born in nineteen. Uh, Jesus, he he was born nineteen thirty one. Was first became a billboard model doing Vice Voy, uh, Vice Roy, excuse me, cigarettes. He was a uh, model for them. And then he got into the motion picture industry do, being a stuntman. He kind of has a look of like Chet Baker or James Dean. People might know Chet Baker because there's a new Ethan Hawke movie out on him. And then in the 60s, he got a career as being a stuntman in show t- like westerns, like Have Gun, Will Travel, um, the How the West Was Won. A lot of those um, translate into movies. He became the stunt double for Richard Boone, who was actually going to be the first choice, the actor, to play uh, Sheriff J- Buford T. Justice okay, in this yeah. movie. And then uh, under um, John Wayne's stunt double, Chuck uh, Roberts, Robertson, he got his tutelage, and he became one of the top stuntmen. He was doubling for Clint Walker and doubling for Burt Reynolds, and he did movies like, um, uh, how, like we said, How the West Was Won, uh, Bridge at uh, Remigan, McClintock, The Warlord. And then he also, since then, he started doing second unit directing. 
and then he started doing a lot of second unit direction. He did little big man. He did yeah. second unit. He did a lot of well, a movies. lot of a lot of like a second unit director. Um, that's basically a lot of what they do is they do like the stuff that's like not the dramatic, you know, the shit without dialogue. Really. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of the action sequences, even in you know, especially in today's movies, are like. Have done, done by second unit. Yeah. Like, I remember I was watching like the special features of one of those like Bourne, Jason Bourne movies, and it was all about, you know, every special every special feature was about like the car chase, this action scene, and everything was they were directing this. They were talking to the second unit director, and I was like, did the director direct anything in this? Movie? <laughs> well, you know, we talked <laughs> about big, you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's way, a it's a big part of the movie because you need a, to have it, it to be right. It's a it's one it's a it's an it's an obviously an integral part about filmmaking, but it's also uh, they it's it's a way of condensing the schedule the best they can, which is like they can be doing the stuff with the stars, the dialogue scenes at the same time as you got a whole other crew doing the car chase scene and another, um, you know, part. It's a way to work fast, quick and cheap. Yeah. You get it all done quickly. And, and it's kind of tricky. And you have guys that specialize in it. So they know what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you get like, you know, you don't have to have Scorsese trying to figure out the, the semantics of having a car chase. You yeah. just have you a get the guy, guy that does it. That does that. You know? And, uh, it's kind of integral because one, it's it, like you said, it, it usually focuses on a lot of action as well as they have to kind of sit in with the, 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 the first director, the, the head guy, and kind of see what the style is so it doesn't look completely foreign to the movie. You can't oh, just yeah. cut in. It's not to say that the, uh, the director is not, a, you know, is not a part of it. It needs to fit, like you said. I mean, the director definitely has their hands in it, but it's, they rele- delegate that part of the job to somebody else. Too. And um, th- we talked about, um, we did the Dirty Harry podcast, and Don Siegel, who directed that, who... Uh, I'm a big fan of. He was the second unit director first, and he, that's how he started, ended up directing. And then we talked also in the Towering Inferno cast, the um, Irwin Allen. He was said, like, all right, you can do all the second unit shit. We're going to have a real guy come in to direct the, uh, not a real guy, but a, a proper director yeah, yeah. direct, like, the stars and these dramatic scenes. He was like, fine, fuck it. Because <laughs> that's all he wanted to do anyway was all the, yeah, you know, yeah. the, all the special effects because he was known for Irwin yeah. Allen doing the special effects with Lost in Space and uh, Voice at the Bottom of the Sea. So... Hal um, starts doing second unit stuff, and he becomes, like we said, a, a stunt double for Burt Reynolds. And Burt Reynolds, they were good friends. Burt is um, a guy who um, was born, his father was, uh, he was born in Michigan. His father was drafted into the Army. They moved around. They settled in Florida. His dad came back from the Army, became like the sheriff of uh, a county went out, right outside of West Palm Beach. And uh, he grew up in Florida. He, be- in high school, was a football player. He thought, you know, he got a lot of... Um, Scholarships went to college and thought he was going to have a like a career in football as like a linebacker. And then like in sophomore year, he had an injury that really fucked him up. And then he was kind of sidelined. And then a year later, he was in a car accident and that re-injured the injury. So his football career was done. Yeah. So he didn't know what he was going to do. He thought he was maybe going to um, <coughs> become a tradesman or uh, you know follow in his father's footsteps and become a cop. And then he went to New York and he started doing. Um, uh, acting on the side, and uh, he realized acting paid a little better than just doing the odd job, you know, yeah. kind of like waiting tables and stuff, and uh, he met people in the city, and then oh, he started getting bit parts in the 50s, and he became like one of these 50s actors that came out and was doing stuff. Um, uh, a little tidbit, which is funny, he, him and Clint Eastwood uh, both were signed to Universal Studios in the mid-50s for a minute, and that's where they met, and they had a big friendship that's still till today. And uh, uh, that's why Eastwood makes his film debut in uh, Return to the Creature, which is a sequel to Creature from the Black Lagoon. And they were both fired from Universal. And uh, 
I don't know why they fired Burt, but they fired Clint and Burt the same day, and they cited to Clint. They said his Adam's apple was too big. <laughs> he wouldn't be a star, so they fired him, and then you know, he went off. And, they, and then they got into westerns, and Burt, I think one of his first major roles that we talked about in the Night Stalker podcast again was he became... He was on Riverboat uh, uh, next to the star, um, Darren McGavin, yeah. and he was the co-pilot. And he was on it for a couple months, but people said that they, they butted heads, and uh, he left the show, Bert did. And then Bert showed up in Gunsmoke for a couple seasons as like a half Native American, half white person to um, James Arness, who we again had a problem for trying to remember who James Arness was in the thing cast. I forgot yeah, what happened. Like yeah. we were, For like two or three casts, we were bringing Robert Stack up. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I, I think I had it in my head that it was Robert Stack. Yeah, perhaps you can help solve a mystery. And um, so uh, Burt bounced around in the 60s playing bit parts, and then he got big doing like uh, TV appearances. He may actually be in the last episode of The Twilight Zone. He, play, he has an episode in The Twilight Zone, and he's spoofing... Marlon Brando, which is kind of a nice comeuppance because he almost got a role in the late 50s in a movie, but then they said, you look too much like Marlon Brando, so they didn't hire him. So then in this Twilight Zone episode, he plays a, uh, like a, a Marlon Brando-esque actor called Rocky Rhodes in this uh, very funny episode. But I think it may be the last episode, and, it, and it's like Rod Serling's send-up to like yeah. uh, how the uh, producing industry is. Uh, and then in the He's, he gets Burt gets progressive more work in the fifth, in the sixties, and then he goes off to like um, like a lot of the actors goes to Europe and does a lot of those spaghetti westerns in Europe with people. And he comes back and he kind of hits it off in Deliverance. And then he kind yeah. of he does a cosmopolitan um, uh, spread that he's basically nude, which has become very famous now, where he's he's laying sideways, completely naked on a shag carpet, but he has I think in front of his genitals he has something like he has his hand or he has a magazine. And, like, that was, like, one of these, you know, roll-out centerfolds, and, like, women loved it yeah. in the 70s. I would go up on people's walls and just, just this hairy mustache, <laughs> son of a bitch. You know, very, yeah, very, yeah. very much so. And uh, so then he meets Hal Needham at the time, and um, they start working together, like, because Hal's doing his, um, his stunt work. And well, yeah, I mean, I think that's an important thing to point out is, like, I would imagine it still happens, but especially back in the day, like, once you found a stunt double... That was that worked with you and you worked with you. You liked them. You trusted yeah. them. They obviously had a, somewhat of a physical resemblance to you. you. Then, like he was your stunt double for every movie that you did after. Like Kurt Russell, the guy that was like Kurt Russell's like stunt double is Kurt Russell's stunt double yeah, from right. like the seventies through, you know, probably until today. If he Kurt was and that's like a good like job security. You know, yeah. you know, you're you're with him in a lot, and you become friendly with him, and, and then you know you have this whole kind of camaraderie and. uh they kept going, and then Burt got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then Burt became the, like, um, you know, in the mid-'70s, I think after Steve McQueen, Burt became the biggest paid actor in that in that uh, decade. And they were doing all these fun movies, and um, it, it kind of gets to, if we're going chronologically, um, they do a movie together, um, which you and I had a Burt Reynolds, which is really funny. We had a Burt Reynolds Marathon, uh, marathon of movies, but we were doing all like Burt's B sides <laughs> yeah. because we figured we didn't do Smokey, we didn't do Cannibal Run, we didn't do like Deliverance. We were looking for the ones that we he did, did. We did do Hooper. We did, yeah, but we also I think we also Sharky's did the, the longest ra- uh, yard. We did the youngest, which yeah. is probably like the most like which, famous of his movies that we ended up doing on that run. Which, which also ends up having um, the other guy in this who who I've never really seen anywhere else. Um, uh, the actor that plays. Um, uh, Jackie Gleason's son. He's a lo- he's a former linebacker. I think his last name's Stanley. I have to look him up. 
but he uh, he's in this. He he was in the young, longest yard as well, and that's the only other movie I've ever seen him in. Um, so um, we watched Seamus. We watched I think Sharky's Machine. We watched Hooper. We might a lot watch White Lightning together. And White yeah. Lightning is a movie which is a really good movie. Mustacheless. I like to judge my Burt Reynolds years <laughs> with the same with Chuck. Too. Yeah, with Chuck. It's 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 mustache and pre mustache. And uh, uh, you know, there's there's the pre mustache years of Burt Reynolds, which is like Deliverance and this movie White Lightning, uh, where he plays a character named Gator McCluskey. And then they did a sequel to that, which is a little different. It's a little more fun and stuff. It's called Gator, and I think it's 1976. And um, he plays the title role, Gator McCluskey, and also brought into this mix was Jerry Reed. And Jerry Reed, they had met, they became uh, good friends together, and Jerry Reed ended up doing a bunch of movies with um, uh, Burt Reynolds, too. They, they did the 1974 movie called WW and the Dixie Dancers, and they ended up doing 76's Gator. They did Highball in 78. They did Hot Stuff in 79, and then they were in the Smoking the Bandit movies, and uh, they were in a couple others. And people who may not know Jerry Reed, he... For our generation, he is in the 1998 film The Waterboy. He plays the uh, rival football coach uh, of the University of Louisiana uh, Cougars. He plays Red Buller or whatever, Bullard. He plays that guy. And also, since you talked about White Lightning, just a a little plug for Scored to Death. Charles Bernstein, who uh, is best known for scoring A Nightmare on Elm Street. I believe he also scored White Lightning and maybe Gator. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> he might have. Yeah, and then um, Jerry did a couple songs on Gator. He sang Gator and stuff like that. And uh, uh, Jerry, uh, I guess to, to well, we'll, well, we'll hold off on Jerry. So Hal is doing Gator, okay, in '76. And at the time, Hal is uh, likes Coors beer. And Hal is, they shot Gator in Florida. So Hal has brought a couple cases of, of did cores he, with him. Did he direct Gator? No, no, or no. Or he's a no. stuntman? He's, he's a stuntman. His directorial debut was Smokey. So he's doing stunts. And maybe he's probably doing second unit He as might well. be doing second unit. You know, like yeah. he's probably got a lot of second unit. And I don't know who directed Gator, but I'm sure that, um, you know, he's doing a lot of the big second unit stuff. So he's working directly with Jerry and um, Bert because Jerry plays like the semi-bad guy, good guy in the movie. You know, he's got a pretty sweet part. And um, Hal is bringing cores with him to drink, and he's leaving it in the hotel room. And what's happening is every day it's getting stolen. So he gets a new case brought in, shipped in, you know, the people are sneaking it, and it's getting stolen. He's like, what the hell is going on? And he, and he, he, he makes a sting, and he finds out it's the uh, cleaning lady. And he says to the cleaning lady, why are you stealing cores of all beers, cores beer? And she's like, you don't understand. There's, it doesn't, it's not sold around, sold around here. And he realizes that, yeah, Coors isn't sold in Florida. And what, what ends up happening is Coors is a, at the time, just sold in the, uh, the Midwest. And it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a local distributor, and it's not sold east of Mississippi. because it, it, has, just, yeah, it has to do with, like, that it was, like, a pure, didn't have as many preservatives yeah. as regular beers. So probably didn't ship it traditionally around the country to sell it. Like, it would probably spoil or whatever. Yeah. What like, would like within like, you know, very short time by the time it actually hits shelves. So it was just a very uh, restricted thing to the Midwest. Yeah. It, there's a 1974 um, time magazine article about it. And uh, Coors had such fans that, that uh, Gerald Ford at the time, he used to tuck away in his luggage, uh, 
course and ship it back to Washington, President um, uh, Eisenhower would, would also have it airlifted in Air Force planes to him. Paul Newman refused to use it, uh, any other brand in his movies. And they even got people, they used to arrest people for, for, for doing it. Some, some guys used to uh, take refrigerated truckloads of it from Denver to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he sold it to restaurants and country clubs for as much a, a, as a dollar a can, whereas he was only buying the six-packs for $1.50. Yeah. So you can see the markup on that. And what it, what it was is people have to remember now in the, in the era of craft beers and stuff, that's only fairly recent because after Prohibition, they made all these laws during Prohibition about you uh, making booze at home or you trying to... Uh, you know, brew anything because they didn't want people having home distilleries and stuff like that. And those have been on the books probably to like the late 80s. And uh, now that people realize that all these old laws are still on the books, that's when they're trying to eradicate them. And that's what the resurgence of all these, like these local breweries and stuff have been yeah. able to have in the past 10 or 15 years. So prior to that, after um, the uh, Prohibition, there was only like, say, like 60 breweries, like, say, out of 200, like a lot of breweries went under during Prohibition. Then since 1934 to like the 70s, shitloads of other have gone under, out of business. And there was this 1974 Time Magazine article, and this is the biggest thing in this movie that people, they, they kind of gloss over with this freaking script. They don't kind of realize that, like, the, uh, the, the whole idea with the cores, as you've indicated to. Now, for me to quote the 1974 Time Magazine article, they said, the object of the foaming frenzy is Coors Banquet Brew brewed from the waters of the 70 to 80 springs around Golden, Colorado, 15 miles west of Denver. It was unlike most beers because Coors contained, like you said here, no preservatives or stabilizers and it was not pasteurized. If left unrefrigerated and allowed to get warm, it would spoil in a week. It was probably the only beer that was kept cold from brewery to the customer. And, but because of its lack of additives in the brewing process, it greatly enhanced its taste. So this is the reason why in this movie there is a time frame, so yeah. to speak, because when they pick the beer up, the beer is um, warm. They're not refrigerating it. Yeah, yeah. So they have to get it back in 28 hours or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, if people, and that was the joke, that the, the two Enos brothers, Big Enos and Little Enos, Pat McCormick and uh, the great Paul Williams, make a bet that they can't go to um, Atlanta, Georgia, to Texarkana, Texas, which is like, I think they've calculated that it is, say, a, uh, it is, according to MapQuest, it is 665.2 miles with an estimated travel time of 10 hours and 43 minutes and 21 hours, 30 minutes round trip to, to get from Texarkana to, to Atlanta. And that's yeah. the whole gist of this movie, to get the Coors beer from Texas to, to Georgia. And there's this bet made. So I'm getting too ahead of myself. <laughs> so Hal Needham uh, uh, gets the idea for this movie, pens the movie, and he, and he looks to Jerry Reed and he says, Jerry Reed, how would you like to play the bandit? Jerry Reed's like, fine, you know, and he thinks he's going to do this low-budget B-movie yeah. for, like, a million dollars. It was expected to be, like, uh, he was kind of pitching it around as being kind of a really small B-picture. You know, the, the answer to all these kind of road um, action, gone in 60 seconds, vanishing point kind of movies, uh, where those are a lot of highlights of, like, you know, fast-moving cars and stuff like that. 1975 Moonrunners. Moonrunners, exactly. It was another movie about this as well. 
And uh, like we said, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry was another one of these movies. So he just hands it to Bert to read and say, hey, what do you think about this script? And, scripts, and Bert's just like, it's a terrible script. Yeah. But he's like, I'll do it for you if you can get financing. And he's like, really? He's like, yeah, I'll play it. You know. And then at the time, Bert's the number one actor in America. So yeah. he's like, shit, really? So he goes to Universal and he says, hey, I got Bert Reynolds attached when you... You know, when you up at the budget, up, yeah. So they say they'll up it from one million to five point three million. So he's like, "Shit, this is gonna be fucking awesome." So he calls Jerry Reed up and he says to Jerry Reed, "Hey, look, you're no longer playing the Bandit. You're gonna play Cletus Snow, aka the Snowman." Yeah. And Jerry Reed's like, "Sure." And he's like, "And I want you to handle the soundtrack." And he's like, "Okay." So they start shopping around, and Bert also says, "I won't do the movie unless you get Jackie Gleason." And um, at the time, they they were thinking of Richard Boone to play the the, the sheriff because yeah. uh, Hal Needham knew Richard Boone. Uh, he Hal sends it to Jackie Gleason, and uh, two weeks later, he gets a call from Jackie Gleason. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, what do you think of the script? And Jackie Gleason goes, this is the worst script I've ever read. Yeah. And he goes, okay, would you want to do it? And he goes, sure, I'll do it. That's sure. And he's like, okay. So they all meet, and uh, they start talking to Bert. Bert's father was a sheriff in Florida. Bert used to, Bert's father used to say, some bitch. And Jackie Gleason's like, what did you just say? And he says, oh, I said, some bitch. And he says, you know, instead of son of a bitch, you say, some bitch. And he goes, yeah. yeah. He goes, okay. And he uses that. And then one of Bert's father's friends was actually named... Sheriff Buford T. Justice, and that's where they get the name for the for the, for the character, and then the rest is history. So they they start making this movie. Bert asks for Sally Field. Now, isn't there also something like two days before they start shooting, the budget gets cut or something? Like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, they they uh, this is another thing where it's like I guess they they this is a common practice, and 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 which is kind of very scary <laughs> for for lesser known or for like lower budgeted movies that two days before filming. Uh, Universal comes okay. Instead of having like five million, you're only gonna have like three. And he's like, shit. So like him and Bert had to like completely revamp the script in like two days before filming. And uh, they film in like '76. And uh, uh, Bert wants uh, Sally Field. Um, uh, and the company's like, we don't want Sally Field. She's not sexy enough. And he's like, she's plenty sexy if you just you know yeah. shoot her right. She'd been known at the time for doing like Gidget. Yeah, well, that's yeah. A, Sally Field is, has a. She's a, kind of a really interesting uh, figure because her mom was like an actress, but not a big actress. She was like a in you know the studio system. She was a contracted player, and her stepdad was a stunt man. Oh. Um, and so she ended up going into an acting career um, really young. She did Gidget, and it's funny because, like, we all think, you know, most of us, at least our generation and older, obviously, know Gidget. And now it's, it's you know, it sometimes gets run on things like Antenna TV and stuff. But Gidget was only, like, on for a season. Really? I yeah. thought it was on for, like, years. <laughs> I think it was only on for, like, a season. How about and, The Flying Nun? And then it got canceled, and she still kind of wanted to be an actress. And, and she's really young, right? She's probably like what, like in her teens. Probably, in her, I think she when she got cast, I think she was seventeen. But wow. then when they started shooting, she was eighteen. Yeah. And then uh, for Gidget, and she looked at that guy as her like circuit stepfather. Or, yeah. You know, the, the, the actor who played her father, and she kind of yeah. had this nice. She role had like with a him. weird relationship with like her real dad and her her stepdad, who was a stuntman. Not like any. I don't think it was abusive or anything, but I think it was just like a weird. I wonder if that's what years later it drew her to Bert because Bert was was a stuntman for a little while as yeah. well in his movies. And uh, then she gets offered um, Flying Nun 
and she hates it. She doesn't want to do it. She thinks it's stupid. But her stepdad, who's the stuntman, is like, you gotta, you know, you can't turn down a job. Yeah. Like, you don't know when the next job's gonna come. I True. mean, like, this is, you know, this is business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you can't just be turning down work. So she takes that job, and she hates doing that show so much. Um, How long does that run for? Oh, longer than a season, I would think. I, I think, but I'm not positive. But around that time is when she kind of meets, like, and becomes part of, like, the actor's studio. Like, she starts studying, like, Method with, like, Strasbourg and stuff. And so she, at night, would take, like, classes in, like, Method acting. And yeah. then during the day, be shooting this, like, kind of ridiculous show yeah, about escapism <laughs> yeah where yeah. it's like she's this nun whose hat is like aerodynamic and when the wing catches it she can fly was that what it was wasn't she had any special powers no, just because she of just the, was the, like the, Eric the, aerodynamically <laughs> perfect hey you know in, in a world of like you know like we, we talk about this a lot in these podcasts with the escapism of the late 60s with like bewitched and, and she you know, ta- I love Lucy and you're like and sure she, <laughs> and she talks about like uh, she wouldn't learn her lines so it became like this game for her to keep her in, keep it interesting which is like she would like right before they shot she would see how fast she could learn her lines like she never read the scripts she would go to the scene read it over see it was like made it an exercise for her like how quickly can i memorize my see, lines see i feel bad for on that for on that respect for the other actors who are there say you have yeah, the older yeah. actors well, playing she's the fellow also, nuns you know we're talking to someone who's like 19 that's what i'm saying yeah. so it's like you f- you feel bad for say those other nuns who are the older women who are there like they can that's their only job they can get so they're taking this fucking really seriously yeah, because yeah. you know this is the last you know jab yeah, they can yeah. get and freaking you know she's there like fucking everything up and she's like they're like come on <laughs> <laughs> and then uh you know that gets canceled now nowadays because of things like hbo and uh even just like regular cal you know like things like Walking Dead on AMC, like television. also shot in Atlanta, where this is shot. Jones you know, Burrow. television is is has really changed, and it still is probably a little bit of a stigma, but even more so ten years ago. But it's it's rapidly changing. If you were a television actor, you worked in television, yeah, and very rarely did you make that transition from television star to film star. Yeah. I think it would probably even be harder for a woman to do. Well, because back then also, it was looked down upon. A lot of movie, um, when TV came out in the 50s, a lot of people looked down on becoming a movie actor going to television. And Ernest Borgnine talked a lot about this because when yeah. he was offered Mikhail's Navy in the early 60s, he said, no, I'm not going to go to television. His act- and his, his agent's like, you know, maybe you should consider this. And then uh, he said, okay. And then in the 60s, there was a minute there where people were going because it was very lucrative. But then, yeah. like you're saying, the reverse, being a TV actor and not being someone like a Telly Savalas or somebody who had a presence yeah. to then try to, like, a woman trying to transcend yeah. from, to film, is that's very hard. So she found, like, now as a young actress, now thinking of herself as a very serious actress, having studied and taking, the, taking it much more seriously than she did when she was, you know, 17... She's finding it very hard to get work because she's known as Gidget and the Flying Nun, and she wants to be in more serious parts. She auditions for Sybil, yeah. which was a very famous TV movie about uh, middle seventies. Yeah, like a schizophrenic or a person with a you know a split personality. <coughs> Excuse me, and she finds that <coughs> because nobody will take her seriously as an actress, she realized that she has to like. Uh, 
convince the casting directors and the directors that she is that person. Yeah. You know, like, they won't hire her to act that part, but if they think she's really kind of fucked up and disturbed, they could say, like, okay, yeah, we could cast her because this would be really interesting. So that becomes, like, her new thing, is that she always has to, like, convince somebody that she's... <laughs> you know, like this person that they're trying to cast. Miraculously, she ends up, you know, starting to become seriously. Obviously, like Norma Ray comes and she wins like well, Norma Ray is huge. Her first Academy Award, I and mean, it's big about um, Norma Ray's about like women's rights, and, yeah, like, unions like labor and stuff, u- labor, labor unions, unions and stuff. Like and pass me a cores, <laughs> crack that baby open. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the old tap. <laughs> I, I, it's the pull. You have to, like, rip the thing off. Yeah, the, the, the little, yeah. we got vintage cores. But so, Smoking the Bandit comes around, and, you know, the way I look at this part is a lot like we see a lot of child female stars. Um, you know, obviously, it's not as overtly sexual as, say, like, the shit that, like, Miley Cyrus is doing. Yeah. She's or, not looking... She doesn't have to get nude, say. Yeah, you know? but it is like... You know, she does this part, and I think that has a lot to do with probably why she chooses to do it is because it's like she can be kind of sexy, yeah. and she's a woman. She's not like a little girl in it. Now, lo and behold, she actually really dislikes this movie yeah. and kind of hated doing it. Um, she says it mostly because, uh, well, one, it's a big, you know, obviously it was a big guy crew, you know, like um, she was like, she's really like the only female definitely the only lead like major character that's a female but she says that like um you know what little script there was they didn't really even follow like they just kind of made yeah, a lot of their it shit was, up it was really <laughs> that was the, she found it as someone who was took a, herself a, a as a proper actress yeah, yeah trying really to be like hard. a very serious actress it was a very kind of hard she and couldn't movie she wasn't to used do. to ad-libbing she needed a kind of script to have like a uh kind of like a framework and they'd have a framework like you know the scene but they wouldn't have much else in way of dialogue and she found that very taxing and she found that she'd get very nervous because she was young and I can't do this and luckily I think you know she her and Bert kind of had a relationship here and they dated for a couple of years and it blossomed on the set of this movie and they went in and they did Smoking the Bandit 2 and she's in Hooper with him and she might be in the third movie with him as well um but um Luckily, they had. To me, it doesn't seem like anybody on this set were assholes. So you had like Jerry Reed, you had Jackie, which I don't think Jackie really saw much of her. Maybe until the no, end. she yeah, she even you know. says like, you know, she's like, you know, I only only really in a couple of scenes with him, and and she's like, so unfortunately, she didn't really get to work yeah. with him and or to learn anything from like yeah. his. But Bert and I think Jerry were nice enough, especially and Hal too. Like they kind of like I think you know kind of put like a little security blanket around her said, don't worry, you're going to be fine. That's all. And especially since Bert was in a relationship with her and now you're telling me that her father was an ex or stepfather was a stuntman. Maybe that was a little more of yeah. her coming, like identifying with Bert and Bert being the sexy, 70s sexy man. So, yeah, you know, it yeah. was perfect. And, and I find Sally in this, I was going to say Sally Struthers, Sally Struthers <laughs> movie. It's because, um, oh, I, I think of Sally Struthers because she's in The Getaway. Yeah. Uh, Sally Fields is absolutely gorgeous. In the yeah. Movie. She's so, it's just, it's, and you know, she's one of these women who I personally love because as she's gotten older, she hasn't lost her beauty. She's much like a Michelle Pfeiffer where she hasn't tried to mess with her face. You yeah. know, and she's even though she's older now, she still looks gorgeous. And she's she shows up in the second one, which is really cool too. But it's just nice to see her. And then it just seems like such a fun time. And, and you don't really get much of a plot in this movie. No, no. But like I said, it, I think it really had to do with, you know, 
It's like the shooting budget versus the, the g- they're comfortable with the people. Well, that and just like the choice to do it, being like trying to say like I'm not the flying nun. Yeah, like I can be kind of sexy and a woman. I mean, this happens to a lot of female stars. I mean, like Alyssa Milano in the '90s was in all those like straight yeah, to video, like you know, kind of where she had to be nude and stuff. She's suddenly like feels not nudeness, but I think it definitely kind of was an informed decision to be like. You know, I can play. I can be sexy. I can be a woman. I'm not just like this little girl who surfs or can fly with a crazy nun hat. <laughs> um, yeah, but she's she's really interesting. I mean, she we kind of grew. I mean, at least I did. I assume that a lot of people of our generation kind of grew up as with her being kind of like a major part. I mean, one, the Gidget and the Flying Nun were, were constantly on in reruns when I was little. Yeah. So I was familiar with that. But then she, you know, she had a big career in like the 80s. And then, of course, she was in Mrs. Doubtfire in the 90s. And Yeah. And then, like you said, No More Ray is a huge movie. And uh, yeah, I mean, Gidget and Flying Nun were in big circulation when we were little. And she's always the warm-hearted. I can't think of anything that you think of her bad of her. You don't think of like her like being a dick or you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean. You can't yeah, think yeah. of like you know her like there was an incident with her drug abuse or, or I mean maybe there was. I mean I'm sure she had fun. I mean it was yeah. the seventies and the eighties. You know I mean it just and then especially if you're with this. I mean this is what this movie becomes like the pinnacle of like I think about like what what I wanted to do like as a child. Like I I wanted to get into movies and just do this. I mean you yeah, yeah. you and I joked going back to college that we were going to do our two Halloween costumes were going to be <laughs> be uh, you and I from um, Nighthawks. We were going to do Nighthawks. You were going to be Billy D. I was gonna Williams. Be, I was going to be Billy D. Williams. <laughs> I was going to grow the mustache. I was going to go in blackface. <laughs> and I was going to be Stallone. And I was going to have the, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to be Stallone with the glasses, the leather jacket, the beret. I was going to get the, the Superman uh, shirt. And then the other one was you were going to be uh, uh, the bandit, and I was going to be uh, <laughs> the snowman. And I get the vest, and you get the, you know, you get the the, the glasses and yeah. all that, and the jacket, you know, the red the red bandit jacket that shows up in Bandit and Smoking the Bandit too, and that was going to be our, you know. And the thing I love about these movies, and you know, you think about this movie, if you think this movie doesn't have a plot, you go try to watch like Cannibal Run, and yeah, you know, yeah. I'm lu- you're lucky they even got it, like anything to film in Cannibal Run. You think about all the celebrities in that movie who were just. It's just a party. You're basically just yeah, recording yeah. them drinking and having a good time, and it's. And then when they do Cannibal Run Two, it's even less so. So it's like, and then when you add Dom DeLuise to the mix in Smoking the Bandit Two, yeah. And what I personally love in Smoking the Bandit Two, and then in the Cannibal Run movies, are during the credits they show it became legendary. They show the outtakes, yeah. And that's just like better than the movie seeing these outtakes of them just messing with each other, especially, you know, uh, Burt. Uh, and Dom DeLuise, Bert fucking with Dom DeLuise, you know, as Captain Chaos. You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just like, and that's just, that's you know, and, and, and Jack E. Lamb's there with his crazy eye, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like that's what you wanted. It's like that's the camaraderie you want. You want to have movies, and this cinema is supposed to be fun, and I yeah, think that's yeah. why maybe this had such a craze because. I mean, you think about the 70s. We always talk about Irwin Allen was big, the, the disaster movies in 77 hits with Star Wars. You look at the two highest grossing movies. Star Wars was just a complete fantasy. Yeah. Then this movie, which has no plot and it's just fun, you know, CB, freaking trucks and cars. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, I wonder if that's a reflection of where the world was at the time, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting because I just watched uh, a recent movie again for th- the second time I watched this particular movie a movie that I fucking absolutely loved in the theater okay and uh, I just watched it again and when I watched it it was like there's very little plot in this movie that I'm gonna reveal 
Um, but when I watch that movie, it's like that movie is completely. It's just like pure cinema. Yeah. And the move, but when I watching this now, it's like the the plot's very similar. Is Mad Max Fury Road? <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is just like a chase road movie. The, that, that movie, I would even argue, is just one long chase. You know, that Mad Fury yeah, Road. Yeah. Just like you know, there's a, and even to the point, it's like, where's Mad Max? It's even about him. It's about the. What's yeah, yeah. Character? He's really Charlie a side, Charon. really kind yeah. of a side character. In that, you in only that ha- I can you can probably count on your hand how many lines he has in the darn movie. Um, but it is it's just like it's the plot is just like this chase, and that's basically what this plot is. And I I think I mean there may be an argument to be made here that if you didn't have movies like this, like Vanishing Point, Gone to Sixty Sevens, The Smoking the Bandits, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, you may not have these crazier Mad Maxes in the 80s. You know what I mean? These crazy yeah. car chase where <clears throat> Mad Max certainly puts both feet firmly out of comedy into, like, action. You know, you have these crazy movies where, especially, like, you know, Road Warriors, like, some of the best cinema yeah, yeah. you've ever seen. I mean, we talked about, you know, in Dirty Harry, the bullet car chase or French Connections car chase or the, the, the Seven Ups car chase. Those were monuments in history because people had never seen um, a, a car chase without speeding the camera up on real streets yeah, yeah. with, you know, real cars. So when you see, like, in Bullet, when Lalo Schifrin's soundtrack stops and all the all you hear is the, just the Mustang sound for the car chase, like, people, like, were coming in their pants. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you yeah. know, gearheads. And then in the 70s when it went from, you know, the French Connection, it was like, you know, first you had, like, a car versus another car and, and Bullet Charger versus Bullet, uh, uh, Mustang versus Charger. And then the French Connection, it's like, you know, sedan versus subway, and then in, in uh, Seven Ups they did, they did like a Chevy Nova versus something else. And it was I think even there's a movie called I think The Laughing Detective, no, Badge Three Seven Three, where it's like Robert Duvall commandeers a bus, and it's like a bus car chase movie. And then you get you know that yeah, goes yeah. on to be Speed. So it's like you, they, they're all trying to outdo each other. And then like with this, it's like fuck it, we're just gonna have all. You know, I'm a stuntman. I'm comfortable with it. I'm going to hire all my friends to do it, and we're going to have fun, and we're going to just fucking do as much as we can with, you know... I mean, they have permits, but they're still going on the seat of their pants. Sure, sure. And, you know, and you can tell that it's cranked a little bit. Yeah, some of them are... Some of them are... You can tell it's cranked a little faster. Yeah, it's... You know... The the film itself is running a little faster. Yeah, so it makes it speed up a little bit. But surprisingly, like, not as noticeable... No, and I... I, I As some other things. I don't think a lot of it is. I think there are scenes where you can see, but I think a lot of it they shoot at times. And they said that, you know, after shooting this whole movie everything went off without a hitch except two things they they, they say that kind of weren't planned the first thing they say was is so uh, they go to Pontiac so Hal Needham's like thinking he's looking through a magazine and he sees the 1976 or 75 Trans Am which at the time it's a brilliant choice because it was relatively unknown much like uh, you know McQueen's uh, Mustang and Bullet, the GT. Uh, you know people were like uh, fastback. No one had ever seen it. You know it went like gangbusters started selling. It's like 44 Magnum with Dirty Harry. That movie came out. Everybody started buying a 44 Magnum. No one had <laughs> saw a Trans Am. So he went to Pontiac and he said, "Hey, I want to put the, the the car in the movie." So, excuse me. Um, according to Hal Needham, Pontiac gave him four Trans Ams and then two Bonnevilles to be the, the, the Sheriff Buford T. Justice's uh, police car. Yeah. Burt Reynolds nowadays is saying that, that, that he wrecked up to 12. So and that was in a recent interview last this year at some Chicago comic thing. He says he wrecked 12. So And then somebody's, if you go on YouTube, there's people who shot the movie who saw, say they saw car carriers coming in with 
uh, a certain amount of the tr- the the the, yeah. the transams on the um, on the car carrier. So to get specific for all the 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 gearheads out there, all the the mamma jammas, who uh, who who are, who are the gear jammers who are, who are very much into the uh, to, to this thing. If I can find all the specs on the uh, the cars, um, they used a they used 1976 model transams. With 1977 front ends, the decals were changed to to also um, look like the 77 style unit Transams, as evidenced by the uh, engine size callouts on the hood scoop being in liter rather than cubic inches. Because in the 76, it's in cubic inches, but in the 77, they have liters on the scoop. Mm-hmm. Um, on the scoop in this movie, it says 6.6 liters. So, but they're using they're saying 70, 76 cars, and then the the truck uh, that he dr- drives is a Kenworth uh, W nine hundred short frame semi with a thirty eight inch sleeper, and they're, they're nineteen seventy four models, and uh, they are using a, uh, a a trailer with a mural, which was unheard of at the time. It was a Hobbs trailer with a Texas thermo king refrigerator unit on the back which was uh, non-operational because people on the internet know this because it's obvious because there is no fuel tank on the other side of the trailer to refrigerate the unit so that's why the beer is hot so um and the boxes are empty and the boxes are (laughs) yeah because when they throw jerry reed over it you can tell there's nothing in the boxes which is very funny um just their hollow out boxes so they say there's only two things that really happen out of this whole movie of all this craziness that really go awry they say the first thing is when they have the scene where the Bonneville is trying to pass uh, um, Cletus's car, which they use the take in the movie. He comes over too close. He, he gets, yeah, they use the pit maneuver, and yeah. he kind of T-bones. They said yeah. that wasn't planned. And uh, Hal Needham jokes that the stuntman driving the, the Bonneville, he says, you never realize how big the grill of a Kenworth truck is when it's two inches from you. Yeah, <laughs> You're going, yeah. you know. And then, so, but... That nobody was hurt. They used that take in the movie when, um, and that's the next shot where you know he, uh, they come to Gleason. Gleason's like, "What we're dealing with here is a total disres- disrespect <laughs> for the law." Yeah, yeah. And then um, the second thing that happened, which they didn't plan on, was they planned a big jump into the field where all the kids were playing, mm-hmm. and they didn't realize they planned it. It worked, and then in the morning before, the groundskeeper came as he usually does, and he sprayed the field with water. So when they did the shot, when the when the the transam came down. The, the water being wet acted like an ice rink. Yeah. And they said they literally almost took out a bunch of kids and all that. And, and, and you can see the take in the movie because the, 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 the camera's inside the car. And they said they only did one take. It came, slid around, and you could see they almost hit a couple people, and they go right through the dugout. And when the take was over, the kids ran up to them. The kids were like, are we going to do another take? And then the, women, the, the mother's like, wow, you guys got pretty close to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good driving. And they're like, yeah, you know, they didn't they, they do another take. And they said, really, that's the only two things that kind of went crazy in the movie. Everything else well, was, Well, there isn't, you know, you know, to be honest, by, like, I mean, I guess maybe by today's standards. I mean, there isn't well, you're, really. You're putting up the Fury Road, you know. It's you know, like, there yeah, isn't right. a lot of, like, crazy shit that happens. Yeah. I mean, I mean the they, biggest they, thing they is. Jump the, they jump the bridge. Yeah. You know, they jump into the field. Mm. You know, there isn't, like, a lot of yeah. stuff going on. I yeah. mean, the worst, I think, for where is the Bonneville? Um, Sheriff Buford's car gets completely destroyed. Of course, yeah. Which yeah. comes a joke. You know, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting movie to look at as kind of a time capsule. For the late seventies, I mean, like we said, there was, there was like this fad of the one, the CB radio, two, like these road movies, these and the trucking culture um, had become a big thing. Uh, 
you know, the story in a nutshell, you know, like you said, he get, there's this bet, they have to go pick up this beer and bring it back. And that's really kind of all there is. They pick up Sally Fiat along the way. A lot of people don't realize, too, it's interesting to point out that op- in, during the opening credits, when you have the Jerry Reed song, The Legend, and they're talking about Smokey, uh, the bandit, and the truck's driving, uh, that's Bert driving. And what I mean by that is the bandit, because bandit's a truck driver. Yeah. And Bandit, and they show that in Smoking the Bandit too. There are these, which it's weird because we, you and I live in the Northeast, so we're not really big in the country music or like the race cars and all that. And uh, some people may not know that out of all the sports in the country, NASCAR is the number one sport. You know, yeah. like NASCAR is huge race car. And there's um, these truck racing shows where, like, you know, like an uh, American trucker stuff like that, where they'll have these, you know, freaking diesel, you know, Mac trucks driving you know doing like actual proper racing yeah and they show that in the beginning of smoking the bandit 2 where there's a truck race and you know Burt Reynolds yeah. ends up winning but so people don't realize that Burt's not a, 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 a car driver he's a truck driver and him yeah. and Jerry Reed are a team yeah. uh, Burt, Burt's full name in the movie is Bo Darville aka the bandit and uh, Jerry Reed is Cletus Snow a- a- aka the snowman and like you're saying is that you have these two guys come up to him, hilarious, Pat McCormick and and, uh, and the great um, Paul Williams playing Big Enos and Little Enos Burdett. And I think their last name is Burdett. And uh, the joke there is that I guess in the 70s, everybody used to go on The Tonight Show. Yeah. And Pat McCormick, who plays Big Enos, was the head writer of The Tonight Show. So uh, Paul Williams used to show up all the time. So did Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham on The Tonight Show. And... Uh, I guess there was this really funny image of seeing uh, Pat McCormick, who's six foot five, and Paul Williams, who's five two, standing next to each other at the craft service table <laughs> talking to each other. Yeah, and that yeah. became a reoccurring, a reoccurring gag that they'd see each other. And they'd be the funny joke of the two of them. So when they went to cast the movie, Hal Needham remembered that, and Hal said, "You know what? Well, let's, let's cast them like that." And I yeah. think it's brilliant casting because I mean, to bring up Paul Williams, you know, I love him to death. Um, He's a singer, songwriter, actor. We know him for, he wrote a ton of songs that people may not realize, just an old-fashioned love song. He wrote a lot of the Carpenter stuff, We've Only Just Begun. Um, he wrote a lot of the Muppet movies, uh, Jim Henson stuff, Rainbow Connection is his. He's an actor as well. Uh, Phantom of Paradise, the Brian De Palma movie he yeah. did. Uh, a lot of stuff during the 70s. He's huge, and he had a big, big, um, he was huge in the 70s. To pick him is to be, uh, basically, it's a very minor role in this. Sure. You know. But it's a memorable. I mean, the two of them. Yeah. It's a very well, memorable. It's funny because you. There's a great documentary called. I think it's called uh, Paul Williams is Alive, and it's done maybe a couple of years ago. And it talks about you know people forgot about Paul Williams. He's like I'm still here, and he's you know I'm still recording, doing stuff, and putting stuff out. It's you know making a lot of money off residuals, and uh, he says you know I've come to peace with the fact no matter at, at this point in my life he says that no matter what I've done in this world. I'm only going to be remembered as the guy who wrote the Love Boat theme and Little Bean Enos. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, yeah. Everybody says Little, you know, as him. Yeah. And it's it's true because a lot of the Carpenter stuff, you know, like we said, The Only We Just Begun, uh, Rainy Days and Mondays Always Get Me Down. A lot of people don't realize it's well, all Well, yeah, I mean, it was a totally different era of music you know, where you, I mean, pop music in the lot of, if, pop, a lot of pop music was always written by songwriters and then performed by performers. But, um it is an instance where, like, yeah, I mean, like, he wrote some amazing songs, but he didn't necessarily, he wasn't the one that made them famous, so no. you don't kind of realize yeah. it. I mean, he, he was, a, he started, <coughs> he started acting, and the acting wasn't paying off, and people used to think he looked weird, you know, just his stature and how yeah. he looked and stuff, so he said, let me try my hand at songwriting, which is kind of ballsy to go from acting to songwriting, yeah. and he was getting stuff, and 
what ended up happening is he wrote a commercial. He wrote a, a song for a bank commercial, and in the bank commercial, it's like a uh, a couple getting married, and then they go to the bank to get the loan to buy their first house. So the music for that is "We've Only Just Begun," yeah. and the Carpenters saw that song in the bank commercial and called him. Was like, you know, we want to record it, and he's like, sure, you can take my song and record it, and that's how it ended up being. You know, and they ended up. He penned a good deal of their stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. So he was huge in the seventies to cast him, <clears throat> and then they get to Jerry Reed, who I have always loved. Like we said, he was in he was in Scooby Doo. He was a performer, a, a big big country guy. He's like in the league of Waylon Jennings and stuff. He's a he's a pick player, a guitar player, not a lot of picking, and he's known for a whole bunch of stuff: Guitar Man, U.S. Mail, Amos uh, Amos Moses, uh, When You're Hot, You're Hot. Uh, <clears throat> Lord, Mr. Ford, eastbound and down, of course. And then she got the gold mine, I got the shaft. And uh, he was a guy from the South, you know, uh, had a music career, was did a lot of songwriting and recording. And um, I think uh, Brenda Lee uh, covered one of his songs in 1960 called That's All You Got to Do. And then Elvis started taking a lot of his songs and covering a lot of his songs that he recorded and wrote. And then um, one day, uh, Elvis came to, to, to uh, Nashville and wanted to record one of his songs called Guitar Man. And they were trying to cut it all day. They just couldn't get it. And Elvis wanted it to sound like Jerry's version. So they called Jerry, and Jerry was um, fishing at the time, like at some creek. And like, you got to yeah. come down. Elvis is in town. He wants to record your song, but he can't get it right. And Jerry's like, well, the reason you can't get it right is because you probably got straight pickers in the studio. Yeah, yeah. He says, I pick, uh, I pick my fingers and tune the guitar all weird ways. Yeah, yeah. So they brought him in. He did his thing. Elvis loved it. And Elvis was like, that's it. And then Elvis went on to like um, cover a, a bunch of his songs. But he's big in the world of um, uh, country music and guitar picking. And he teamed up with Chet Atkins and did a lot of Chet Atkins stuff in the 70s. And... Uh, this movie, and then that's why you see in 1972, he's already, he's shown up in Scooby-Doo meets the Scooby-Doo <laughs> movies. You know, yeah, he sings yeah. uh, Pretty Mary Sunlight in that song, which, uh, in that episode, which plays a lot through the episode, you know, in the uh, the Phantom of the Country Music Hall in that episode. So he becomes friends with Burt Reynolds, like we said, and then he and then he kind of, in the mid-70s, he kind of puts his, his music career on the side because he starts doing a lot of these acting work, yeah. and he acts until, like, the late 70s, and I think he acted through the 80s as well, but yeah, he did yeah. these, these basically, these, these movies with Burt Reynolds, which really propelled him. I mean, that's what, yeah. what a great way to get yourself, uh, uh, you know, in front of a, an audience. Uh, kind of going back to what you were talking about before, um, I do think it is kind of like, you need to point out that. I think it, it. I don't think it's as clear. I mean, I think it's obviously clear in the movie. But I feel I think the, the I, plot is a little convoluted. It's a little convoluted because they I, just skip over what you need to know. They just like you know we're gonna. They just give you like a sentence of uh, ex- uh, exposition to like okay, and then we're gonna race some trucks. <laughs> but it's also like Bert's job. Like you said Bert is a he's a he is a truck driver. He's a long hauler. But in this particular job, because it's because time is of the essence, and they're trying to transport something that across certain state lines is considered bootlegging. Um, he's basically like the decoy. Yeah. You know, he kind of rides out in front, goes really fast so that he gets, they try to pull him over and then the truck can kind of slip through the back door. You yeah, know? yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it's funny when they're, uh, I mean, this is a movie where every, to me, every, it's a dialogue. I've had people, this was like when I, I say I worked at the video store uh, right out of college. This was a, Constantly going up. Everybody at the video store loved this movie. We can just quote it. And then I have people I work with that everyone just quotes these lines. And it's like, you know, the scene when he first meets, um, he first sees Big Enus and Little Enus, that was, he didn't know what they were going to wear. So that, that laugh he does, that, <laughs> you know, that yeah, burp yeah. laugh, that was genuine. And then, 
you know, when when he's trying to talk about the getting the truck, uh, the car, he's like, I need, I need a car, I need a car faster than that. And he's like, oh, you know, handing the money out. Like you're right, you know, he needs something. He, he gets the Trans Am and he pitches it to, to Jerry Reed, like you'll drive the car or the truck, and I'll run his decoy for you. And I mean, and what a great, uh, and MacGuffin just to, just to get. Well, the, that that just like the, the you know like who didn't own. Like a mat, the like the Hot Wheels or Matchbox car version of that fucking yeah. Trans Am. <laughs> yeah, I mean everybody. I mean, it's an iconic. It's become like an iconic car because of this movie. We talk about stuff. We were talking about sales for stuff um, because of movies, and um, this is one of those instances where uh, literally in 1977, because of this movie, um, Trans Am's Pontiac Trans Am sales went up 700 percent. Like people were buying, yeah, you know? yeah. and because of that, the president. This is a story that Bert says all the time. Uh, the president at the at the time of, of Pontiac said, "You know, if this movie does well, you will get a new Trans Am every year for the rest of your life." And Bert's like, "You don't need to do that." And he goes, "No, we're going to do that." And it was a success. Yeah. So for like four years, he got every every year he got a brand new Trans Am, and then one year he didn't get the brand new Trans Am. He didn't want to be a douchebag, and you know. But he's well, like you said, yeah. So he's kind of like, I don't want to be a dick, but you know, I called him. and say, hey, you know, um, this is what they said, and so they put him in with the president, and the president's like, no, that president died. I'm the new president. We're not going to honor that rule. And he's like, okay, fine. You know, sadly. And as of this recording, he he's either putting one up for sale, or he's or he's saying uh, he's still got one. Bert Bert has one that they gave to him that uh, is not a car used in the movie, but it um it's it's like a a, a showcase piece. Um, sadly, Bert now, not to jump past stuff, but Bert's kind of fallen into, to, 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 he's, he turned 80 this year yeah. and he's had a lot of, uh, trouble with his finances because he, the divorces and stuff. And then just, you know, you can imagine the lifestyle he led back then, just spending your money like a wild man. Uh, you know, he was bankrupt with, sure. with bad investments. And like you we said, he, he tried producing in the eighties. He did a lot of game shows for Convy. He did the win, lose a draw. He did the, uh, evening shade. Yeah. In, uh, he did some other shows. He, he tried to open a couple restaurants and steakhouses and, and clubs that didn't work. So he had to start parting with a lot of his, sadly, a lot of his memorabilia. And he parted with, like, the bandit jacket. And he also parted with the 1977 promotional edition of the, the Trans Am that they gave him. And they had estimated the car would go for only 80000 but it actually sold for 150000 I'm sorry, 450000 was how much the car actually sold for yeah. that, that Trans Am he had. And he also had an auction. He had a, he, up for auction. He had as well was a go kart replica of the car, which sold for fourteen thousand. <laughs> How fucking awesome is that? Yeah. Now I think uh, you know in terms of something that I think we, sh- we should mention uh, in terms of home video distribution. Uh, one we always we always like to talk about like the different versions of a movie yeah. and how the you know the way like this movie was censored. Uh, <laughs> For regular television, kind of was like almost this, like as famous as the movie itself. Like the, how they would have to redub the lines. Yeah, um, it's it, uh, they ended up getting um, Jackie Gleason to play the role as 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 Buford T. Justice, and uh, I think uh, personally, I think Jackie Gleason is probably one of the best comedians of the 20th century. I, I find him amazing what he did. We talked about his work on the Honeymooners before. Uh, and uh, he was a lot of the guy you have to thank for having, like, say, uh, him and I think Desi Arnaz were the two people with Lucy were the reasons why we have sitcoms the way we do now is because yeah. of The Honeymooners and because of I Love Lucy. And he was a weird guy where he would, um, 
he had a photographic memory, so he didn't need to memorize scripts, which is, I guess, a gift. And he would just go through and block, and that was it. That was what he would do for Honeymooners, and this is what he really did here. And that's where Sinatra got that idea, where he would yeah. only do one take. So a lot of this stuff you see is one take. And also Hal Needham gave him the caveat that said you can ad-lib whatever you want. So about 80% of this movie is ad-libbed, Gleason's uh, um, dialogue, yeah. as well as Gleason came up with the idea for the... Um, the, the scene at the choking puke where he meets Burt Reynolds that wasn't in the script and he said let's have a scene where we both meet up and we don't know who we are or yeah. you know, I don't know who he is and that was all Gleason and that brings up uh, I want to get to well I'll, I'll, I'll pass that the, 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 uh, what, what he talks about in that scene but so what you're saying is so he does all this stuff he's and Burt Reynolds asks him when he's coming up to do the movie he goes what's your idea for the character and he goes I'm just going to cuss left and right that, that's my I'm going to say some bitch and everything like that yeah and they wanted to keep it. They didn't want to do it R. Yeah. So you could see he does say fuck twice, I think, in the movie. But then they, they censor it so that, that it won't be R. Like one point, an air horn goes off where he says yeah, fuck yeah. off. You know what I mean? They, they yeah, did like, that purpose. Could, like the truck horn goes by. Yeah, so, so you can. <laughs> you know, it's like that. And there's another scene he says something else. So um, he just says shit and some bitch all the time. And then some other things about like women and like their parts and like that. So when they gets to television... um. They they you they end up replacing everybody ends up doing their lines themselves except Gleason doesn't redo his lines. Uh, you have the actor uh, Henry Corden who was the voice of Fred Flintstone. He uh, took over after Alan Reed died, the original voice of Fred Flintstone, fairly early on. So uh, Henry Corden has been doing Fred Flintstone, I'd say, for almost forty years now. Yeah, which is kind of fitting because the Flintstones was like a yeah, yeah, takeoff yeah. Of, of the honeymooners. Of the honeymoon. Yeah, so they had him come in to do all the um, the you know the, the the sensory stuff. So like they couldn't say some of some bitch, so instead they say scumbum. So that became such a thing in annals of, of, of popularity that in 2007, when they released the Hot Wheels edition of the Fiber Trans Am, it said scumbun on the back tail, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he would say other things, like, you know, he couldn't say son of a bitch, he couldn't say ass, he couldn't say stuff. So it's funny that all of a sudden, Gleason would turn into Fred Flintstone, you know? It, oh, you know, he's like, you won't, you know? <laughs> it's just such a, you know, it's such a funny thing. And... Um, since we're on the subject about Gleason, I always talk about him. You know, people know him for his acting, and people know him, uh, you know, uh, for the Honeymooners as a comedian. He did serious stuff too. He did, um, he did the the Hustler, where he won a Sporting Academy Award because he he yeah. played Minnesota Fats, and he was a pool player, so he did all his own shots in that movie. He did this movie, but he was also like I always say, there's a great thing where he's a big music lover, and he did music in the seven uh, in the fifties. He did wallpaper music, he used to call it because um, he used to think that. Um, at the time, you know, you, you, he liked having, like, this mood music in the background for people when they were, like, you know, like, eating dinner or just nice stuff or romancing a lady. And he said, like, you know, he'd watch these movies and he'd see, like, you know, uh, um, uh, what's his face? Like, Earl, what's his face? Um, um, uh, Earl, Earl Flynn. Oh, yeah. People like that would, like, you know, there'd be this nice scene where they'd be romancing a lady and this music would come on. And he's like, why does a good like good-looking guy like that need music when, like, a, you know, a guy like me really needs it? So... He, at the time, uh, the big bands, a lot of the musicians, uh, that was going out of style. And so a lot of musicians were out of work in New York, which he knew. So he got all these guys together. And he didn't know how to write or arrange, but he knew the songs he wanted. He would tell them, this is how I want it to be played. And he was yeah. really thorough about the arrangements in that sense. So he put out these these albums, and he put out a shitload of them. And to, 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 to put them in perspective, that his things were so popular, his... his uh, 
one album called Lozum Echo and for music uh, music for lovers only were uh, I think still he holds the record as being the most consecutive weeks in the top 10 his his um, uh, albums were in the top 10 for 153 weeks and to give some perspective Michael Jackson's thriller was only in it for 78 weeks yeah so that's pretty crazy that's up there like with like uh, Bing Crosby's like White Christmas as being like a number one single yeah you know so a lot of people don't know like these side uh, ventures of these people so they bring Gleason in and Gleason does all his own ad living and, and it's like all his shit is hilarious that whole shit with him like um you know, I'm gonna punch your mom in the mouth. Oh, that's that's all. You know, that's all. Ad living, all this stuff. And like, you know, there's some scenes in this movie for me that are so uh, amazing. That, you know, that I just think find hilarious. My my second favorite is that scene where he comes in, and he's like, you know, uh, he runs in. He's like, you want something, boy? You know, he comes in. He orders a fr- a Diablo sandwich and a Dr Pepper. And he asks his son. He's like, you want anything? And the son's like, I have a hush puppy. He's like, we ain't got time for that shit. But. People of evidently this thing is this mythos of what the fuck a Diablo yeah. sandwich is, and this and it's funny because my friends at work and I for years would say, "What's a Diablo sandwich or a fried Diablo sandwich and a, and a Dr Pepper?" We no one knew. So for you and I, when we prior to watching this, I went to research this. I didn't know that there is actually this cultural phenomenon that people were like, "What the fuck is a Diablo sandwich? What yeah. is the order?" You know. Yeah. So if you look at Wikipedia, they talk about that. Um, there's no real people. I guess inquiring minds want to know what the fuck a Diablo sandwich is. So people really don't know. But some people have speculated, which I love that there's speculation. Yeah. There's a country music channel program called Real Eats. Used a Sloppy Joe style recipe consisting of seasoned ground beef and corn and sour cream. Another person, by looking more closely at the images <laughs> of the film, which is hilarious. And if you think about the shooting location, because they shot it at an old hickory house uh, in Georgia. They think it's pulled pork on hot sauce in a hamburger bun. So a lot of people think that this fried Diablo sandwich is that if you make regular Sloppy Joe, instead of putting like the regular seasonal um, into the Sloppy Joe, you replace that with taco seasoning. Yeah. It gives you a little more spice. Spice. A little, a little more Diablo. Spicy. Yeah, a little Diablo. And then you throw a little hot sauce on it. There's your, there's your Diablo sandwich, you know? So Now, uh, as we wrap up, this is a movie that apparently, a lot of people I don't think realize that, you know, when video VHS the remastered VHS stuff started happening and then especially the DVDs everybody seems to assume that like the 5.1 surround sound this is a yeah I didn't realize this is like you know superior now but unfortunately it seems mostly in films of the 70s to do the 5.1 surround sound you really have to like break apart the soundtrack I mean a lot of those movies were like mono yeah Maybe well, because stereo. you know it's it's funny. I work in television. I work in television news, and I work for audio. And um, my job is basically being in a studio, micing people up, the anchors and the hosts. And I talk to a lot of people who work behind boards, and they talk about it. At the end of the day, really nowadays it's starting to change. But really, what you're really mixing for is you can try to EQ the shit out of stuff, but yeah. really. You're only mixing for like a speaker that's five inches big on the side of a TV. Yeah. So you're not really, that's, you know, mom and dad are only listening that way. Maybe nowadays people are starting to buy these fancy 5.1 speaker systems with the Bose. But traditionally, that's really all you're mixing for. So I remember in the early 80s, especially on ABC, when you watch anything in ABC, and then the the little lower third would come in like, in stereo. (laughs) Yeah. You know, closed captioning. You're like, wow, that's amazing. And that was a huge thing at the time, in stereo, because... You know, you're only mixing for one speaker. Yeah. And if it's analog, you know, you're, you're, you got a tube television, black and white. Who the fuck cares what? You know, mono, mono is mono. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, like you're saying, so, like, when people started to, like, really think about 
you know, like you're saying, breaking stuff up and like, yeah. you know, 5.1, you actually have to like put the sound of the velociraptor in the back left, you know. Exactly. So it became this thing, you know, that was that superior. But what happened was a lot of these movies from especially this, it seems like the 70s are the yeah. ones that are most massive. Because they were the first ones, I think people said, hey, let's take the movies we know and love. Yeah. And, and really do a, uh, you think you're doing the Lord's work here. By taking a movie, and I know the example you're going to cite, because we this is an uh, issue we always talk about, where you're going to take a movie you know and love, a, a, a cult classic, a blockbuster, and redo it and, and then put it out as 5.1. It's going to be fine. But what happens is a lot of people who know this movie like the back of their hand, they they end up having to, re- I don't know why, but they replace all the sounds, well, it's all the sound effects. You know, it's because like those sound effects don't really exist anymore. And probably yeah. all they really have... Are just the source of the is already like, mixed is like the pre-mixed thing, and they probably you know, like today, even today in television, say, um, when we have to deliver the deliverables, which is like what you have to send the network in post-production, would be like you would send them, basically you send them like a stereo track, which is like the mixed stereo, you send them, and then you'll send them like the stereo track like minus any of the dialogue or the music you know so like um so like say all those special all the sound effects and the music are probably married like the um, the, the thing is they don't have it they probably don't have the isolated sound effects from like you know 40 50 years ago yeah from like the 70s the 60s and the 70s plus here and this is and they talk about particularly in a movie like this because i think it was low budget a lot of the secondary stuff like the the, the cars peeling out and stuff that was recorded on set you know when the car would peel out where yeah, a lot yeah. of i would it's i would have thought they would have yeah put 80 yard in later shot it without sound but a lot of this stuff they just it's just there it's, it's just, like it's what's on the track yeah and that's that's a mono you know thing it, so what happens is they have to try to recreate this with current day sound libraries or foley yeah. work so they have to because they, they don't have the original elements so i mean you see it in i think we might even talk about magnum force yeah magnum force um, a, we, no, i thought the big one you were going to bring up is jaws jaws is the, and, is and, the other big and one and terminator they redid Terminator, and all the Terminator, the gunshots are different, and stuff like that. Like you know, his um, that that the the handgun he has, the automatic with the laser sighting, that has a yeah. completely different sound when he's killing the first Sarah Connors. Um, so Jaws the, is big. Jaws, Magnum Force. Like when Jaws like busts into the, through the window of the boat, like as it's kind of sinking. Yeah, at the end, like it's like such a rinky-dink sound on the five point one. Yeah. like it's like a it's like a wine glass breaking. But in like the original mono track, it's like yeah. <laughs> so it's like a lot of people who the, hold these movies near and dear to their hearts when they go and they think it's a great idea. Like oh great, it's five point one. They go slip it in and then they hit play and it's like wait a minute. These so- sounds are completely different, and yeah. it's like it's almost like a what the fuck. You Magnum know? Force, I, I love because it's clearly like an artistic choice that was made. Is that yeah. you know, it's like it's, Clint, it's awesome. It's Harry go. He's he goes kind of like in disguise onto like the hijacked plane as the as the pilot as, as the pilot, and so he's not he, and he pulls a gun, and, but it's not his gun. No, it's, it's not, whatever. It's a thirty. It's like a three fifty seven, and then he has to take the rest of the the, the, the the hijackers down in the plane. But in the original mix. When he fires the gun, it's the sound of the. It's like a three fifty seven. It's, it's like, his. Yeah. It's his gun. Yeah, like it's this artistic choice that, like, no matter what gun, 
Harry fires. It's going to be that 44. It's, it's that. It's that. <laughs> <laughs> fucking awesome. You know, but like in the 5.1 mix that they did like in the late 90s, early 2000s yeah, for like the out. first DVD release, they took it out and they, and they actually made it an accurate yeah, sound. Yeah, 357. And it's Which like is, people were like up in arms like, no. It's, and it's like, you know, you thought you were doing the right thing. And this is where it comes to be in this movie. I didn't realize I own what they call uh, the Pursuit Pack. Which is this? Uh, 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 they call it a special edition, but all you get is a theatrical trailer. But it's th- all three movies yeah. on one disc, like two on one, the third on this side B. And then I, in 2006, they came out with the special edition, which I bought. And the special edition is remastered. It has a couple special features that they really cool. They interview Hal Needham. They interview um, yeah. Bert. They interview Jerry, not Jerry Reed. They interview Paul Williams and stuff like that. And they have like a little featurette on CB lingo, which is really cool with some truckers. But what you're alluding to is I didn't realize since. I got that special edition in 2006. I've been watching that edition. And it's the remastered, so all the sound effects are different, which I wouldn't really realize. Like, the car sounds are not accurate, apparently. Yeah. To See, like, for, like, gearheads and motorheads, yeah. they get pissed because, like, you're not hearing real Trans Am sounds as well as, evidently, they know. I mean, I read so much, and I love this. That's why I try to include it in our podcast. So there's people out there talking about this. Like, they're looking at, like, his, um, his Kenworth W900, and they're saying, like, well... You could see by the hat he's wearing, he's wearing a cat hat. So that might, yeah. it may indicate that the Caterpillar, that they're, they're saying there's a Caterpillar engine in the truck, but you can clearly tell that by the by when he's shifting, it's a it's a Detroit diesel in yeah, there. Yeah. So it's like, I love that people are like, you know, that, yeah, that into mean, it. Yeah, people are really fucking you know? into so it. So they were betrayed. They're like, these aren't the sounds anymore because they replaced. And apparently there's even spots where, like, they just never, yeah, they're, they're just now missing missing sound. Like, yeah. they didn't put all the sound. They didn't replace everything. And there's just spots where, like, there just isn't stuff now. Yeah, there's. Like, um, th- yeah, there's 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 scenes where uh, at the end, like where Cletus's dog is barking, or the final chase scene uh, to the Southern Class that they removed, and they didn't put new new music over, uh, and then there's other stuff with like the uh, various sounds of the Trans Am and the Pontiac, differently. You know, they 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 since they recorded on set, you know, and they never re- so it's just like kind of a galling. So luckily we. Re- in doing our research, we realized. So I brought that Pursuit Pack out, <laughs> and we watched the Pursuit Pack version of it, so we were able to have the original, you know, it was just, I think it's... So I think you find, I think you're starting to find, I'd say, I'd say about, like, ten years ago, you started to find, like, the additions would have the original mono track. Yeah, what they did with the Terminator. At, as a choice. Yeah. Uh, because I think people were getting kind of like so there were people that were kind of pissed off that things were being changed and and it's not necessarily superior so that's uh, you know it was like a, you know our one to grow on sometimes if you're really into a movie if you if you find a movie take you say you take smoking a minute you love it to death and you watch this movie and this is your baby Maybe you should go home and look at the back and realize what edition you have because you may have this Easter egg and realize that you're watching the 2006 special edition and there might be an original soundtrack that's completely different that was yeah. the original director's or art, you know, artistic intention. Yeah, so that was my intention of bringing all this up is that like even though you know you want to get that surround sound effect, just you know take a look at what your what your options are yeah. with audio. Yeah, if you, if and you the if mono you, might be and good. And if you really you know, you're into that movie and you want to really experience it the way it was, especially for a movie from the, you know, in the seventies and probably, you know, like you said, Terminator early eighties, you might want to click on that stereo or that mono track because that's the five- original, how you were to see it in the theater, you know, and that's, that's, re- it really goes back to like at the beginning of the cast, I was talking about those records, the storytellers, like you're taking that era and you're kind of having the original intention of how you were supposed to 
view it or listen to it or whatever. And it's like, you know, it's kind of nice to like, you know, go get yourself a tube television to <laughs> put that bad boy in, you know. And I couldn't tell if this was if this was shot on wide at all or if it was four by three. I couldn't really tell if it was. Yeah, I don't know. You know it's it was close. Yeah, it's, it's it might be just a little wider than four three. Um, so um, that's basically the premise of the movie. I mean, and then I, I'm going to say my favorite scene in the entire film is is the scene when he gets his uh, Sheriff Buford T. Justice gets his door taken off. Yeah. And he's yelling, I saw that. You saw him, bitch. You did that on purpose. You're going away to your grave. You're going to put the evidence. Junior, put the evidence in the car. <laughs> and then he's like, you'll put the evidence yeah. in the car. And just every line under Gleason's mouth, I just think is, is comedic gold in this movie. I mean, even the nuances, like his music, dun, dun, dun. And he gets out of the car and he like takes a beat and he like, undoes the leather like on his like gun like he may have to use it you know he yeah. walks across and the, his son gives him the cigarette and it's backwards or his son's such an idiot once they get the top of the car cut off he's holding his hat and then he gets out of the car and he's still holding his hat and he's like will you stop so it's like you know sheriff you know it's a it's a really interesting he's just trying to navigate in this world sheriff. I, I find that it's really interesting because like a few weeks ago one of our more recent uh podcasts that we did we did no holds barred yeah uh hulk hogan uh, I don't. Even, I was going to say classic, but I don't. It even, is a classic. I mean, it's a classic. It's certainly a classic. I mean, sleepover we're, yeah, movie. we're not saying it's like cinematic gold, but it's certainly a classic for us um, in our hearts. But this, there's a movie that didn't do very well, you know, and it's it's you know I think regarded pretty widely regarded as being really shitty. Yeah. Um, though we showed it a lot of love and respect because that's what we do. That's we, we, we went knee deep into that. <laughs> we, we, went, down we, the went knuck, we went knuckle deep into that. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it took us a while to get there. We had to unpack a lot of luggage. Well, there was. But you know what? It was completely warranted. There was a lot of wrestling that needed to be. Talked yeah, because about. I feel like there was a lot of people who may not know that frame of reference of how much that was a cultural impact back then. But it's. A, I think it's very interesting that we do these movies kind of at the same time. Because to be honest, you know, we were, we look at No Holds Barred, a movie that is widely. Accepted by most to be pretty inferior. I think it's in, panned a lot in sadly. quality, and that might be the also reason why it wasn't. You haven't seen a DVD release in so many years because people thought it was such low bar. And I think all, if not most, of podca- movie related podcasts that talk about that movie, other than ours, probably do a lot of like slamming negative, yeah. uh, you know, and and making jokes at its expense kind of thing. But to be honest, like there's a movie that didn't do very well, and then here's Smoking the Bandit, that was the second highest grossing movie in 1977, is beloved. By th- by many people, you know, it's got a huge audience. It was a big thing. But to be honest, I'm going to be maybe this is a controversial statement. Controversial statement to me, like quality wise, no different. There's not really a big difference, mm. you know. Like other than like probably a little more money for Smokey, bigger stars, and a better soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. But I would say that as you know, holds barred. You know what? Like a more intricate storyline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like. Uh, I sc- think with script wise, I think like they're both not great. The dialogue, other than like some of the rare gems that you know, maybe I think were probably ad libbed more than written. Um, it's just really interesting to see a movie that's like panned, didn't make a lot of money, and then this other movie, you know, you know, a little does, more than yeah. ten years earlier, is so revered on like AFI top hundred. Yeah various lists but it like was nominated it, for an academy award for best film editing as well you know uh just a really interesting juxtaposition and kind of interesting that we did these movies kind of so close together um both you know to- for me both totally enjoyable like yeah. kind of uh 
perfect kind of sleepover material, you know, like we, you know, we do a lot of talking about behind the scenes and we'll talk a little bit analytically about movies, but I mean, a lot of flaws in smoking the bandit. You're right. There is like this clock, yeah. but it's like, you don't know the stakes. They don't really make it important. You know me, I'm a sucker for a clock. I know, a I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, you know, it's funny cause they, the, the first montage, you know, there's, there's Jerry Reed all the soundtrack. Uh, he does eastbound and down, but the first montage is he does westbound and down, and they get there, get the cores, and they do that like in a montage. Yeah, they're there in two seconds, and then the way back is when this is when the movie takes place. Is on the way back, they pick up Sally Field, and they have this Sheriff Buford T. Yeah, just chasing them. I think the difference between the two is maybe because of the star power, the uh, oh, the t- acting you know, like is g- above a lot better, <laughs> and then I mean, the I gimmicky, <laughs> you know. To be honest, like other than a few, ex- I, I, the star power definitely. Other than you know maybe Gleason, like I wouldn't even argue that the acting is not that much. I mean, certainly better than the Hulkster is in that movie. Yeah, and we love the Hulkster. But everybody else around the Hulkster is acting their heart out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like the guy who you plays know. like the main bad guy of No Holds Barred. Oh I think, yeah, I think he Fuller delivers maybe? as good a performance as you really could in that part. Yeah, of course. Um, I just I thought it was just a really interesting juxtaposition, you know, and. Um, the, of course, the big difference for me is that, like, No Holds Barred, I think we, you know, the reason why it took us so long to get to the, that movie was because, as we like to set the table, you know, very nostalgic time for us because that came out during our childhood, whereas this movie kind of came, you know, came out before we were born. So, <laughs> so if we don't have, like, as much nostalgia for, for 1977 as we did, like, 1989. Um, but a huge movie, you know, even though, like, Duke's a Hazard, for instance, is more of a direct, its direct lineage is that movie I brought up earlier of uh, Moon Runners of 1975. It probably wouldn't have, it wouldn't hit the airway. It would never would have probably got made Duke's a Hazard without the success of Smokey and the Bandit. No, and 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 um, funny enough too, the um, we have three cameos from um, from Dukes as well that are in here. Um, uh, just uncredited, kind yeah, of. Un- uncredited cameos of, of of three of the three of the the the, um, the stars. You have um, uh, Sonny Scheuner, Scheuner, who plays uh, Eno Strait, is in it. John Schneider, who plays Bo Duke, uh, and the mechanic Cooter Davenport by uh, Ben Jones, who I think is now um, does politics and stuff. They're all three. Of well, them I mean, I think you, you got know. Uh, you know. And a, Buford T. Justice, I'm you know, sure, like, it's, Roscoe you know, P. Coltrane I, we, is definitely kind of a little bit of a nod to that. Let's bring up, as much as I love the Sheriff Buford T. Justice character, which I find so funny and interesting, you think about years before. Do you remember in the Bond movies? We oh, had yeah, Sheriff Pepper? Yeah. You know, Sheriff Pepper shows up, I think, in Live and Let Die, and then he reprises and maybe the man with the golden he, he uh, gone. Uh, gun. Yeah. Because him and his wife were on uh, holiday. And, Which, and talk about a chase scene that is just... Uh, ridiculous with boats so and stuff. So long and like... You know, and it's like, you almost you know, like you just kind of lose interest. But you get that you get that kind of a character, Sheriff Pepper. Yeah, I forget yeah. his first name, but he's there, and then that's that predates Sheriff Buford T. Justice, yeah. you know? Even to the point where there's a Scooby-Doo... I think it's Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers in the early 80s, and it's one of these... Um, you know, TV movies, and they had a sheriff in there that's uh, basically a amalgam of Pepper and Buford T. Justice, maybe voiced by um, yeah. what's his face from Fred Flintstone. You know, um, and like I said, I I'm such a huge Jerry Reed fan. I think he's so cool, and he did um, what three songs in this movie? He did Eastbound and Down, The Legend, and he did um, The Bandit, 
and uh, the, that was released on the soundtrack. And now there's also the alternate Westbound and Down. And Eastbound and Down became a huge thing. And I actually, I don't know why I've never said this to you, but I was thinking for some reason I've always had in the back of my head this little fantasy that when we did this podcast that down the line, I thought it would have been the best thing in the world that if, if you and I had learned Eastbound and we Down. We covered it. For and, we, and, then we, and people don't know. And then we just, we, your, your guitar, we just break into either Eastbound and Down or some other Jerry Reed song, like remembering, like, you know. I think that'd be so funny. We just, you know, we do some, you know, because Jerry Reed, sadly, he passed away of emphysema in 2008, I think. Yeah. And he was fair, still fairly young. So that's kind of sad, you know. And, um, you know, he's, like I said, a lot of people know who he is. And he gets huge amounts of respect in the uh, country world. And it's cool to see that he wasn't, uh, I know he wasn't the best actor, but at least he had acting chops. He wasn't one of these yeah, people I mean, who just were like, you know, know, he's kind of perfect for this. You know, part and anyway. I mean, especially with him in the in the truck with Fred and all that that stuff with him. And then, you know, there's like there's a huge great part where he goes to the choke and puke and he gets beat up by the bikers, and yeah. that's a real famous scene where yeah. he he gets beat up by the bikers. And then one take he gets in the truck and he fucking just drives right over their their freaking choppers, which is great. And yeah, I'm sure yeah. that's. You know, that's endeared himself to a whole generation of truckers who want to do that, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is huge in the trucking world, too. Um, so the movie ends up coming out, like we said, the original budget was 5.3. Night before, they cut it down to, like, 4.3, these bastards. Yeah. And, make it but, a, but, like, Bert got paid a mil. Yeah. So Bert got, like, yeah, so, most, so it was so like three. A, qu- a quarter of the budget yeah. was, um, was Bert's salary. Bert gets paid a mil for this movie, and uh, and which is funny too because you know he, he does some of the driving in the movie, not not a lot. But I l- really like that scene, which I guess you can either love it or hate it at the beginning of the movie when he hides from that cop. He he he, uh, he gets the cop, goes on the grass, and it's one take. The cop goes by. They they start uh, in the left frame. They see the cop go by. They follow the cop, go out of frame, and there's the Trans Am. Trans Am starts inching closer to you. Stops oh, perfectly, and, he, looks, yeah. and, he, yeah, and then he stops, and he looks into the camera, and he smiles, and he breaks the fourth wall. And he talks about uh, Hal wanted him to do that. Hal was like, I want to do that so the audience knows that you know, you're know you in on the joke, too. We're all having fun. Yeah, this, yeah. Don't take this movie seriously. It's, it's hilarious. So that was his idea. Bert says, all right, we're going to do it. And he says, all right, you just drive the car slowly. I'll tell you when to stop, and then I'll give you a moment. You look in the camera and smile. Excuse me. And then um, they do it, and, and he's all right, wrap. And that's it and uh, you know check the gate and Bert's like do you want to get a safety he's like no I'm fine and they didn't get a safety Bert's like okay and then you know because Hal knew and he's like Hal you know we're going to break the fourth wall Wall. and Hal's like what's the fourth wall and he's like alright don't worry you know? <laughs> you know it's one of these things where it's like and then you know it, and you know, Hal knew what he was doing because of all the second unit work, and he said the biggest concern of him while shooting it was coverage. He was yeah. worried he wouldn't have coverage for stuff. A lot of you don't want to get into it, and that's the biggest thing we, you as an editor, know is that you need to have coverage in the yeah. editing room because if you don't have coverage, you're fucked. Yeah. Well, you know, it's that you know, it's it you're talking about like the the clock. You know, being it's a powerful device in a movie, but here it's like underutilized. That, yeah, they could have really developed. Hey, we have a timetable. We have, have you know, they could have just kept you going because they do tell you, oh, we're ahead of schedule by this amount of time. Yeah, but yeah. It'd be cool but if they emphasize the clock a little more. Yeah, it's just it could have been it could have been utilized better. And also, like we talk about these other chase movies, these car chase movies, like the stakes aren't as big. Yeah. So, it, it like as much as like it's fun, it's like it's less engaging to me. Yeah. Than say. Uh, you know any of the other movies, and then you take another movie which we talk about when we did Night Stalker, also a Duel. Yeah, you know, like this road chase, you know, trucker truck car yeah. chase. Very thing. different movies. Well, very different. Because it I becomes mean. like a stalkerish. But that's what I mean. Like, yeah, you can see how they can do stakes that. there, yeah. and it becomes much more exciting than I think a movie like this ends up 
ultimately being, unfortunately. But it's like it's the kind of movie it is. Like you said, I mean, it's like the whole movie can be kind of like that shot that you're talking about with Burt Reynolds breaking the fourth wall. I mean, it, it kind of is like a little that in itself is like a little bit of a brilliant stroke by, you know, Needham because it does it does set the pace. And then when you talk about the Kenneral cannonball run movies just being like this free for all free for all but it's like that's the charm of it you know like you are capturing that energy yeah um and so there is a bit about of this here you know it's a it of course it's like you you look at the you can look at the budget the time that it was made and all that stuff as it's hard to put uh, it, all that in perspective. I mean, I also like don't have as much nostalgia for this movie as you do. Yeah. Like, I didn't grow up with this movie. It was funny. Like when we sat down to watch it, I was like, to be honest, like I don't even know if I've ever seen it because, yeah. like, all those kind of even like Cannibal Run and like the other three, like to me, like in my head, they could all be like kind of one movie. Yeah, they're all. And it wasn't until we were watching it where like. It was like I was remembering it and like, oh, like this is about to happen where I like it wasn't until we watched we were in the middle of it where I was like, like I have seen this movie <laughs> before. Yeah. Um, uh, but I recognize that this like 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 you. I mean, there was like a you know, there are a lot of people that have a lot of nostalgia for this movie. It just it's, um, it's, it's gone on to like implant itself in the American culture so much so where uh, I mean, you know, the phenomenon we said about the phenomenon about the Trans Am and stuff like that is solidified in, in Americana, but also even to, 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 to Jerry Reed's Eastbound and Down, they now have a show, right? Eastbound and Down, there's, there's some sort of show which is... Oh, yeah, yeah. Not that, and there was there was a, there was the a nine, run. in the nineties. There was a bunch of TV. They like, did a non-direct sequel. Yeah, they did a, a whole bunch of TV movies um, when they used the Dodge Stealth as uh, instead of a Trans Am, and I've never seen any of those. And I forget who plays the bandit in those movies. But you're right. There's like four. He's an actor. I forget what his name is, but it, he's one of those actors where like. If you saw him, you know him. you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I remember that guy," because he was in a lot of stuff in the '90s. He was and like I, a young, pretty boy. And I don't guy. know if somebody plays Sheriff Buford T. Justice in, you know, if his role is reprised yeah. by somebody else. Because they were, I think they were all made six, by Needham. Six thirty-seven. Oh really? Yeah. Needham also. Uh, we should we should note for people out there who are big fans. Needham went on to direct. Uh, Hooper, The Cannonball Run, Stroke Race, which Hooper. Brett Reynolds. Hooper! <laughs> and as well as he did the 1986 film, uh, the BMX film Rad. Ah. That was Hal Needham as well. That's, know, that's, a that's, that's, that's a movie that right, we'll, exactly. we'll, we'll probably get to that Yeah, movie. yeah so that's right, you know, right here um, for this son of a son bitch. And... Um, I'm trying to f- I'm trying to find about the uh, the other th- the movies, but yeah, they use the Dodge Stealth in the TV movies, and they had like four of them. Um, oh, here we go. Bandit goes country. Bandit, bandit, bandit in the beauty, and bandit Silver Angel. All 1994 TV movies. You're right. Original director writer Hal Needham, loosely based on his earlier version, with actor Brian Bloom now playing the bandit. Interesting. Um, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to do a quadruple. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know. Uh, so this movie goes on. It comes out like we said. The budget was five point three. Cut down to four point three. Take a million out for uh, good old Bert. Bert gets so it's three point three. Is the is the um, how much this movie costs? The film grosses domestically one hundred twenty six million seven hundred thirty seven thousand four twenty eight in North America. And it's the second grossing movie in seventy seven. And the worldwide gross is over 300 million. That's pretty good as uh, 
you know, for, for, for how they, I mean, they made it. It's to two sequels, four made for television yeah. sequels, fucking like almost 20 years later. Um, it's funny, if you go online, you can actually find, because they shot it all around Atlanta, so where they shoot Walking Dead now, so people know the locations. If you go here, you can see where they did this and this, yeah, and so yeah. it's, it's very interesting if you want to go. We should do that like as a road trip going. You know, match where they're supposed to be. You know, I would love for us to do so. Yeah. I was told I was. I wanted us to go to Pittsburgh and do the. I know. Do, 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 do the, the cast the, from there and the, from the cemetery <laughs> in, in our car. <laughs> do the Romero. Uh, well, that, that that just gave me chills thinking to do that. Um, so you're right. It's 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 it spawned uh, two sequels. Uh, Smoking the Bandit Two, which brings everybody back. You got Bert back. You got um, Sally back. You got Jerry back. You got Paul Williams back. You got Pat McCormick back, and you got Gleason back. They add into the mix um, Dom DeLuise, and it's it's pretty funny. Dom DeLuise is this Italian-accented doctor who has this elephant that's sick, and that's the gist. They have to bring an elephant from point A to point B, and uh, the elephant's sick. I think the elephant's pregnant. Is that, that what it is? And then they, they pick Dom DeLuise up, and he's a doctor, and like, you can help with the elephant. He's like, how am I going to help with an elephant? <laughs> so the movie is not as good as this one, which is, I guess, not saying much. They're, it's fun, and... Yeah. Uh, it's fun that they bring Dom DeLuise into the mix so it's not just the same movie again because it basically is just the same movie again and them just doing stuff. I mean, there's funny jokes where it's like, um, you know, uh, again, uh, uh, Buford D. Justice is flying down the road in hot pursuit and, and, his, and his, his, his son's like, hey, daddy, look, an, uh, an alligator. He goes, that reminds me, I got to call your mama later. You know, it's like a lot of that <laughs> kind of stuff. And he's got like a, a, like, a, like, a, like a beeper on him and then it's supposed to control his, his, his anger. So every time he's, the beeper goes off, he's getting mad. He has to like meditate home, you know, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. funny. And then they did a third one, which isn't really good at all. Which is fun. I guess I recommend you seeing it if you're a fan of this movie. And it's Jerry Reed plays the bandit. Jackie comes back. And uh, Sally's on in it. I think uh, Pat McCormick and Paul Williams are in it as well. And then at the very end, um, Gleason Buford catches up with, with, with uh, the bandit. And it's just really weird because it turns into this dream sequence where the bandit turns and looks at that Gleason and all of a sudden like the 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 frame gets uh, like a Vaseline all over the lens yeah, you yeah. know and you get like the, the pantyhose to make it real soft focus <laughs> you get like the Kirk uh, get the Kirk's woman yeah it's it's, it's filter from yeah, Star Trek it's the red it's like the Robert Redford nowadays everything's dull focus and it turns around and it's Burt Reynolds and then then they have this happy moment Burt and Jackie Gleason like you know we we had a good run didn't we and he's like yes you did and he's like you know it's, and it's kind of like the Batman Joker kind of a, a conversation he's like you know if you catch me. This is all going to be over. We're not going to have this anymore. And then it turns out to be, he's like, all right, I'll give you a two-minute head start. And, and then they, you know, they go back. And, and the car, of course, changes in those two other movies. It, has, it gets a new front end. They use different um, trans ams. And by the third one, I think it's looking a lot, almost like um, Knight Rider turns out to be. You know, it's like looking at like that kind yeah, of a yeah. car. Because I think the second one might be like 79 or 80, and the third one's like 82 or 83. And then the, they must have been rerunning that one on cable, and that's how I yeah. saw it. And then I, you know, the other two would be in circulation as well. So, um, yeah, let's see. What else? Um, uh, well, big shout-out to Alan Gibbs, who was another stuntman in the movie. He did some awesome stunt work and did a lot of the stuff. Um, I also love that I was talking to you about this while we were watching the movie. This is the era of no seatbelts. Yeah, yeah. And this is like, you know, when we were little, I remember the big thing was like, you got to buckle up. And there was people who, like, my dad wouldn't buckle up. I don't need to buckle up. Or people, that shit. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> just only, only pussies and queers buckle up. And it's like, you know, don't you know that they didn't die? And nobody, so no one used to buckle. Or you have, like, just the shitty, like, uh, lap belt that wouldn't do anything to you in a crash. You'd yeah, still get yeah. whiplash and die and bash yeah, your head on your the... spine. Yeah, you bash your head still on the freaking dashboard. So... 
there was an era when we used to grow up where everyone was like, seatbelt safety, you got to fucking buckle up. And I think now, even to the, remember the early 90s where you had those cars that the seatbelt would go on for you? When yeah, you get into yeah. the car. <laughs> yeah, it was like on a track. Yeah, and, and when you shut the door, it would be on a track, you know, and it would shut for you. So, like, you know, people would like, you know, you have to fucking, like, I mean, it's kind of idiotic. You got to buckle up. You know, if you're in a car going 90 miles an hour, you hit a fucking concrete wall, you're going to keep going. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Inertia. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's physics. Go learn it. So um, people started to buckle up. But in this era, this is the time where nobody, yeah. I mean, there's those scenes where, uh, Sally Field's yeah, in like the car she's and like she's sitting on his lap and yeah and, and, and you could tell they're flying around and like there's a scene where they go off the road to like go around the truck and she's like f- she's flying in, around yeah, in the yeah. car and it's like can you imagine I can see like a Vic Morrow situation where she gets ejected from the <laughs> T-top it's tossed they go over a couple times so I just I love that it's the era of nobody's wearing seatbelts. Everybody's just having a good time. You know, no one's concentrating on driving. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, and then um, I guess that's I feel like there's we, there's other stuff, but I don't know. So um, recommendations or stars? Let's do uh, buckets of pizza versus sleepover stars. Uh, for me, I, I would I don't know two and a half. Yeah, you know, like I said, I don't. This is not. This wasn't a big movie for me. So I think, but you, my nostalgia is not as not as great for this. This might be a good example, like you say, sleepover stars versus like actual stars. Yeah, yeah. Well, this sleepover stars, I see this being a big sleepover movie for people when we were little. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, can you imagine going to the video store and getting all three or all two? Yeah, you know. So this is, I think, higher for sleepover star value, but for actual cinematic value. Yeah, I'd say like cinematic value, maybe whatever I did for. You know, no holds barred. It was like I'd say two for like a for yeah. a movie sleepover, three and a half, maybe yeah, four. Three, yeah, I would. Mine would <laughs> three land and a half, maybe probably about three as a movie. Two and a half, three sleepover, four. You know, this is a big movie for me, and this is. Um, I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but growing up, I think one of the uh, reasons I identify a lot with Gleason because he reminds me of my father. Yeah. You know, a lot of the antics of my father, the dramaticness of my father is, looks like Gleason a lot of times. So that's why I like the Honeymooners as well. So. Well, I think, you know, it's really interesting. You know, I think that's – we talk a little bit about this with uh, – I don't want to get – you know, it's not worth getting totally deep. But it's definitely one of those movies where, like, you start to see, you know, our tastes and our nostalgia kind of uh, – you know, are not always kind of late. Oh, you said this with the with the, um, the Dick Tracy cast. You know, oh, was it Dick Tracy? Yeah, you said yeah. that you can perfectly see this as a Dion movie because of the gangsters and the stuff. Yeah, well, you know, I think books. it's I think a lot of it is like the difference between like, you know, your dad, an influence of your dad, versus like me being like growing up with a single mom. <laughs> and you're watching, <laughs> you're watching the courtship of Eddie Eddie uh, what's his Eddie, Eddie's father, Eddie's so, father, and in, like, in, in, like in the Sally Field. Like a lot of the stuff that you're into is very kind of like guy oriented. Like you're very you're a huge like Eastwood guy and a big, uh, you know. Uh, Steve McQueen and, and Jackie Gleason. It's like, it's just, it's an interesting, this was an interesting example of like, just how like our kind of tastes, I think are shaped by like our upbringing. It's like, you're very, you're like very uh, Eastwood and not that like, I think we both have very wide tastes ultimately, but the kind of like at, at our core, it's like Eastwood McQueen versus me, it's like Cary Grant and Gene Kelly. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and I know that like you love those movies too. It's not like we we don't like the things, but it's just a, it's a very interesting. Uh, I could see this being like a big movie for you because of your dad. So it's kind of like it's it's funny that you mentioned the Gleason thing and your dad. Um, 
I guess uh, another lesser known thing is that uh, I mean people realize that, that they call them Smokies because on CB, which is we call Citizen Band Radio, uh, I, I guess we should have put that at the head of the cast. <laughs> what CBs meant, um, you know, Smokey. They, the, the hats they wore looked like the Smokey the Bear. You yeah, know, people. I think I hope people know a- that. And the. Uh you know, and the what was the thing for the cop gumball? The gumball machine. I think it's, you know, it's got to be the light on top. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, you know, they call it a party hat too. Sometimes in gumball machine, they also call them city kitties, uh, local yokels, county mounties, all the all the various yeah. Kojak with a Kodak. Um, Hitchcock's daughter says this movie was a guilty pleasure for his father. Her father, Alfred, like I let it roll. <laughs> Put it on, please. Oh, this is I love Burt Reynolds in this. I can't do a uh, Alfred um, Hitchcock impression. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, a lot of this has become an, in, into the lexicon of America. This is like some bitch. Everybody says that down south now. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton says this down south is a documentary. Yeah, yeah. He calls this movie because it's so on point of how people act and how people are. And a lot of, and you also see a lot of the people in the movie, aside from the principal casts, are just locals they hired. Yeah, you know, like like the pickup, the, the, the tow truck driver in one scene is the actual tow truck, local tow truck driver, and like a lot of the cops are the local cops. You know, there's a joke which they say when. Gleason meets the cop, and the cop's black, and he says to the cop, oh, you sounded a lot taller on the radio. That's supposed to be a reference to, 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 to a movie we're going to probably cover, uh, Walter Matthau in um, Taking the Pound 1, 2, 3. He sees, like I think, like a black uh, reporter says, like, oh, you sounded shorter on the radio. It's lame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, any recommendations? Would you do? What would you recommend for a... Uh, you know, a, a car a car chase like is it like Death Race? Or if I was gonna go with a car chase, or movie? I guess a movie that you know that would. I'd know. say that this would be a good. What's the one? Well, which one's the? What's the? Is it Hooper? Which is the one where he's a stunt man? That may be. Either, yeah, I think it's Hooper. I would say that would be a fun. Would also, uh, also uh, Hal and Sally Field. Yeah, a fun Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Double feature. I'd say if I can't re- if it's Hooper. Yeah, I think it is. One. I think Hooper's the because uh, we watch Sharky Machine and that's I think he's a private detective. Yeah, yeah. Then we watch Seamus, which is like, freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little more. <laughs> which you know, we, I think we, it's we, one of my favorite Burt Reynolds movies. I think movies. it is one of my favorite. No one knows it, and it's got Morris the Cat in it. I think we'd have to do it at some point. In this but uh, in terms of as a, as a companion piece to this, I think Hooper would be a fun would be a fun one to do yeah. as a kind of a Burt double feature. I guess I would say with Burt too, and I might even say Smoking. The bandit too because um yeah, it's, it's like well, continue it's, i mean i think it literally stop takes off right after the second one you know i mean they go that's another thing they say they go to um so you go chronological order you go hooper and then smoky, hooper smoking and, and then smoking and then too because too. they go to um the uh boston they try to they do um excuse me this beer is giving me um they try to do gas kessel run yeah, they do the kessel one <laughs> in, in under 12 parsecs <laughs> but um oh you know that's another weird thing that they said too that so Bert, in his acting career, Bert's offered in uh, Albert Broccoli offers Bert in '67 or '68 Bond mm-hmm. because uh, Connery left, and Bert turns it down, saying uh, an American can never play Bond, he can't get it. So they went to Australia and they got Lazenby to play him, as well as in '76 or '77, Bert's offered the the Han Solo, and he turns Han Solo down as well huh. uh, because he wants to be part of the CB uh, 70s craze and do this movie. I, that's not true, but, you know, who knows if that, you know, what was he doing at the time? So um, that would be a nice little um, sequel for us to do, uh, or, or I guess a, that's a triple header right there. You do you do what Hooper is later. Oh, is it later? Yeah, it's like 79, I think. So uh, I don't know if you would do um, 
what you would do first. I guess you'd maybe maybe do Hooper first, and then you get Sally because it's also a Sally Field triple feature and a Hal Needham speech. So yeah, so you you get, you're getting them all right there. There's and um, they go to Atlanta to, at the end of the movie. They like double or nothing. Go to Boston, get us some clam chowder oh, yeah, from yeah. Atlanta to Boston. They're like, all right, you're on. And they're in a 1974, I think it is, El Dorado. It's like, end up, you see like Boss Hog driving around in, in yeah, yeah. Dukes of Hazard. You know, Except uh, for it's red. Yeah, it's, it's candy red and it's got a, you know, it's, it's a convertible. And I don't think they can't take that fucker. You know, it's, it's a drive all the expensive. For driving and driving around. <laughs> but so you talk about map, map Quest stats. It's from Atlanta to Boston, it's 1,089 miles. Okay. With an estimated travel time of 17 hours and 31 minutes. If driven the whole way, it would require an average speed limit of 120 miles an hour to get there in 18 hours to, to be able to come back for the double or nothing. So that's some pretty, pretty crazy shit. I don't know if they can get, say, an average of 121 in an Eldorado, a Cadillac Eldorado. Been, that should have been the sequel. Because the whole car would be, like, shaking over 100. It's <laughs> 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 a quest for yeah. clam chowder. Do you remember? Smokey and the Bandit 2, the do you remember quest my, for clam chowder. <laughs> that's great. It's a great title. The quest for clam chowder. <laughs> you know, the revenge of clam chowder. Do you remember my first car, that my fifth, my Plymouth Fifth Avenue I had? Or yeah, uh, yeah. Chrysler? Yeah. It was... Uh, 1987 uh, Chrysler Fifth Avenue, beautiful car. But when I get over 80 in that car, it would start shaking. Like I used to have the uh, the ashtray in the middle. I had I had change in because yeah, I wouldn't really yeah. use it as an ashtray, and I have change in it. And when it hit 80, you hear like everything goes. Become a maraca. Yeah, I was like everything was starting to go. So yeah, that's a great little little thing would you get there. So for all our gear jammers out there, and you know who put the pedal to the hammer to the floor, and all that kind of a thing. Go check out Smoking in the Bandit. Smoking in the Bandit, classic, an American classic. An American classic yeah, for for you know for all those foreigners out there. They're like that's Americana right there. And um, I hope you've been liking what we've been putting out. First Burt movie, right? This might be our first Burt. First Burt movie. We've talked about Burt. Yeah. I think this might be our first Burt. Fir- Bur- first Burt. First Jerry. First Gleason. First <laughs> Hal Needham. Because if we're gonna do another Hal Needham movie, probably um, first Sally movie. First Paul Williams movie. Did we do a Paul Williams soundtrack? No, I'm thinking of Muppets. Uh, it's just so funny all the people in here just doing just first Trans Am movie first Trans Am movie <laughs> first truck movie first car chase movie I'm sure we're going to get around to some of the older yeah. like Vanishing Point or Gone in the 60 Seconds the original those those are pretty fun clutch uh, car driving movies but we're also hitting a milestone we're getting up to, to close to a, to a seminal amount of uh, podcasts for yeah. us like you know we're, hit, we're getting close to the big 5-0 yeah, which is pretty crazy. Which is going to be probably hitting us pretty soon. So we'll have to make it an event. We'll have to do the second half of the Batman cast that we haven't got around. <laughs> Jesus, all the t- I tried to listen to that thing, and that thing's just like a get a block out in the afternoon. Yeah, Jesus, it's like a dissertation and in, in, in all kinds of stuff. That's a good cast, though. I mean, it's very informative. We um, try, try to be informative. We do, if nothing else. Yeah, the coffee's on. We've gone through two. Uh, Blake and I have both gone through two qu- cases of Coors beer, the banquet of beers. So we're, we have to take a piss. My, yeah. my, my, we're both bloated. And Broke that seal yeah. after the movie. And it's, now it's, we're it's nice. And uh, full disclosure, I drink Coors and Coors Light. I drink Miller Light because, you know, I, I don't really drink. First beer I ever had was a Coors was Light. It? Coors Light. They're, they're good Back because the, the, day. the calories, I think. Was a Coors Light 40. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? You know, uh, I only drink light beers because I drink to get drunk. I don't really care for the taste, sadly. So a lot of people are into the taste. I'm like, I'm just drinking to get drunk. Oh, uh, no. I, well, you like taste? No, I'm, I'm 
connoisseur. It would take so it takes so much beer for me to get I drunk know. that it's like I'll just get sleepy before. That's I That's what drunk. happens to me. Like I have eleven, twelve beers. I'm like getting sleepy, and it's so like, I'm, what's the point? So if I drink beer, it's for the taste. Yeah, now. like yeah. I mean, I do like like some of the um, Belgian beers. Those are really nice. Those kind of things, uh, like the um, big yeah, big horse commercial. This movie. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny to think that you were in an era where you couldn't get cores. People forget the whole, you know, if people think it made, might have been a union thing. But no, it's just because they weren't distributing. They, in 76, they only added Texas and California. And then by 79, they went up to, like, Montana. But at the time, it was only west of the Mississippi. So, so. people, it's funny that you actually have President Gerald Ford as well as President uh, Eisenhower actually smuggling cores, <laughs> you know, in their luggage, you know. Because what they used to say is um, if they catch you with... a with over a personal amount, and a personal amount they say would be under twenty-four beers, which I guess maybe could be a case. A case is either eighteen or twenty-four. Yeah. So if you or thirty, so if you were under that, that was over personal usage. So then they would you would be you'd get cough of bootlegging, and that's bad. You get cough of bootlegging. So um, yeah, uh, we've been having a good time here. The the, the site's been going well. Uh, check us out on iTunes. Check us out on Podjoy. Check us out on Player FM. Check us out on. Uh, uh, what's the other one we're on? Uh, I don't punch. There's are, a new one, Overcast. Yeah, it's not that we're new to it, but I've discovered that it's a big, it's a big outlet for a lot of people. So we are there. Yeah, like that's how you listen to podcasts. Check us out there. Check us out on Facebook. We have a great Facebook page, and we put stuff up. that nice people Facebook like Facebook community that we try to uphold. Yeah. And, and Twitter. we uh, we have people, uh, you know, with us, and, and um, you know, uh, people. Uh, comment and talk to us and we talk back and message us on Facebook. That's always great. We should thank Mike Vender, Venderbilt. Mike Venderbilt for, for putting up a... Um, wrote was, about us on the AV Club. The AV Club. Gives He's a great guy. Gave us a little plug, so cheers to him. He wrote us up again promoting our Jurgensen uh, sidecast yeah, we did. So, that, yeah. yeah, so thanks very much to the AV Club's Mike Vanderbilt. He, he's, he's doing well. Uh, representing Chicago. Uh, <laughs> he's a musician. Yeah, he's a musician. He's, a, he's, a, he's there in freaking Chicago, freaking Lower Wacker Drive, Richard A. Daly Plaza. Good for him. Uh, he's Kolchak the Night Stalker territory <laughs> there. And... Um, Check us out on our website, too. You know, we're at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. You just Google us. You can find us. And uh, we like to, to throw people towards our site itself because you can stream our podcast live there. You can right-click and well, download the live. cast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's streaming. Yeah, no, we're, yeah. Not live. We're, wait, we're waiting for you there. Or, yeah, we're, we're in a Google Hangout right, chat there's room. There's 10 people here. Start talking. Okay. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> we just watched BMX last night. Um, yeah, but no, we, you can stream us there, and you can also um, right-click and download, as well as for each posting of our movies. We like to put extras in that are kind of exclusive to our site, either they're interviews we've done or special things we have in the uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepover vault that we take out and dust off, or there's stuff we think that are relevant to the cast, like interviews or trailers or you know rare snippets we find online. So uh, we like to look at that as like further reading. And then um, what else do we have? You have your book coming out? book's coming out uh, probably early summer of 2016. It's called Scored at Death. And you Scored also, to Death. You also have a Facebook page, Scored to Death, that people Scored should go to over death, and check. Scored to Death, and now a Twitter account for Scored yeah. to Death. And check us out on Twitter. at Scored to Death. Yeah, and, uh, and that's... That's for the Twitter. That's Twitter, yeah. We're at Sat Sleepovers, our Twitter handle. Check us out, retweet us, favor us, uh, tell us to friends, as with Scored uh, to Death. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks, and we've got a nice summer of, of some nice uh, left yeah, and right turns coming up, up. Leading up to summer. Jeez, we've already got one um, that we're thinking of doing. This is it's going to be a great, great 80s, uh, great blockbuster. You talk about 80s, man. This is the pinnacle of it all. But it's going to be a good summer. Good, 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 a lot of good movies coming out. We're going to keep them coming. 
uh, you know, keep you guessing each time what we're going to do. And uh, you listen. Yeah, you, you better we'll listen. talk. <laughs> <laughs> you listen, we'll talk. And um, for a long time. Yeah, just, just in the meantime, keep it eastbound and down and keep those, uh, keep on trucking, okay? Keep that hammer, keep the hammer to the floor. So we'll see you soon. E- later. Eastbound and down. <laughs>